The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of January at the $5 or above level. I Rebel, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, Tristan Pantorato, Resident Evil Collector, and Wilshire. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a very simple question for you to, to get this episode started on a, on a light note. Uh, would you rather have one really big ear or one really large eye? That's a, that's a good question. I think for me, I would want one really big ear because, you okay. know, the face is like, that's where people are looking. You know, I want to make sure my face is looking okay. Nothing super crazy going on there. Uh, the ear is like, almost feels more accepted like, if you just have a massive ear, it's just like, well, he's got a really big ear. Yeah. No one ever really gets complimented on their ears. People get complimented on their eyes far exactly. more. That's a great point. Uh, I, my only question with if you have a really big ear is I'm assuming it doesn't impact your balance or anything. Like, I think this is completely just size related. Like, you're not going to get better hearing. I was going to ask. Yeah, that was going to yeah. be my next question was going to be, uh, are your ears, are, are, are you, is your hearing better or is your like eyesight better? But bigger eyes don't mean better eyesight i would assume not necessarily i would think worse especially this time of year when it's cold and windy and like you're squinting even more so no i don't think like it improves your vision i just mean physically like you have one really big ear so you're gonna go with the ear i would like to say a big eye but i think that you've kind of swayed me and that like it's the first thing you see is just this giant cyclops talking to you oh my god yeah exactly (laughs) and and i have my i have my really good uh, majora's mask toque that i can wear just at all times uh so i can see that's a good you can hide an ear it's much more difficult to hide a giant eye ball in this in the... just a massive eye patch <laughs> but then you're blind if you have because you're, you're missing the other eye <laughs> damn it yeah that's that, that that's a good uh good answer i i appreciate that good question yeah thank you i like to i like to start the episode off light but let's talk about a little bit more uh recent nintendo news we don't always get a chance to talk about unless it's uh, related to mario kart we got some mario kart 9 rumors percolating now on the interwebs i'm very excited it sounds like mario kart 9 is in active development at least that's what certain journalists are saying i'm super excited about it is that a rumor or is that just like i mean obviously mario you know i don't want to uh, uh, you know uh, crush my say dreams anything negative yeah i don't want to crush <laughs> but but obviously mario kart is like in development in some sort because this series has sold 40 million copies on the switch yeah so i mean I would assume Mario Kart 9 went into development the moment after Mario Kart 8 Deluxe got released on the Switch. Sure, I'm definitely positive that, well, they they did do the DLC, so after that was done, they probably did uh, switch over right away to Mario Kart Mm -hmm. 9, starting to get those courses figured out, but uh, I I hope that we see something about it this year, man. I'm going to be very disappointed if we get through 2022 and don't see anything at either E3 or even like a September direct of some kind uh i think that we're definitely in for something like that if if these types of rumors are are true we all know what we want we want mario kart smash edition hmm. like you know mario kart ultimate okay it's, it, we all uh, want it it's it's what we've been asking for you want everybody there and all the tracks from all the past uh games at least as many as you can put on there right yeah. just like just give me you know what do it like the new mario party hmm. 
where you can have um you know it's like the top 100 mini games give me the top 100 tracks or top 50 tracks or whatever it is right mm. just put all like uh from all the different systems put a bunch on there uh and then let me my favorite part about the new mario party is i can pick what mini games to play yeah so that i'm always picking just gamecube game <laughs> mini games um give me the, the chance for that give me just double dash courses yeah. you know like something like that that would be really cool it would be now 50 courses sounds like a lot but then you, you got to be reminded that i think mario kart 8 deluxe has 48 tracks in it already so well, yeah. 50 tracks is not as many as you think. Like, it feels like that the game is small now just because we've had it for, it's been eight years of, of this Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Now, it was on Wii U at first, obviously. But for me, I've had it since launch. Eight years of this game. It's been too long. I feel like it's like a Streetlight Manifesto gap in albums. <laughs> no, almost no one is going to get that reference, Neil. No, no, no. <laughs> There's a couple ska fans out there that listen to yeah. us. I think we've had a couple ska fans on the show. But uh, fun fact here that you wanted to add to the notes here, Mike, is that uh, Nintendo is banned in Mexico. I didn't know about this. Did you learn this while you were in Cuba or something? <laughs> no, that would be really funny, though. <laughs> Just people coming up to me like, do you know that uh, that Nintendo's banned in Mexico? You're like, oh, I should probably, I should probably stop uh, advertising my GameCube podcast to everybody here then. <laughs> No, I, I'm not sure where I read this. I, it was on some news site or something that someone like casually mentioned how Nintendo can't sell their stuff in Mexico. Mm. And then um, and I see that you went into it, Neil, and a little, did a little deep dive because I just was going to say that fact and move on. But, <laughs> but, but I'm glad that you have researched this. Yeah, I did do a little bit. I was like, well, that sounds kind of weird. Like, why why Mexico? I'm always interested to know like why certain games yeah. are, are banned in certain countries. I mean, like China is a big one. Video games in China sound complicated as heck. Uh, so glad that we don't have to worry about that. But Nintendo are actually willingly not selling their products in Mexico. It's not anything to do with uh, Mexico not wanting it. It's that Nintendo does not want to. And that's because uh. they released Smash Bros. Ultimate early back in 2018. Smash Bros. Ultimate, I think. Yes. Okay. Sounds right. Uh, they they broke the release date for that uh, for that game. So it came out early in Mexico and Nintendo being the... The fantastic older parents that they are, they basically said, all right, well, no more Nintendo games for you. So it's it's not illegal. Mom. To... <laughs> You'll, if you play nicely, you, you can have it back. Uh, so it's it's not actually illegal to own Nintendo games in Mexico. So you can buy the consoles and bring them home. The cops aren't going to bust your door down because you're playing you're playing Yoshi's Woolly World on your on your switch. Uh, but uh, it's illegal for stores to sell them. So hmm. you, apparently you can't if, – if someone out there lives in Mexico and this is completely wrong, then please write in. Let us know. But uh, apparently there's no EB Games or GameStops in, in Mexico, which would be so strange. And it got me thinking, like, if Nintendo got banned in Canada because, you know, they released Pokemon Arceus like a week early, uh, no more Nintendo games in Canada, what, what would you most likely switch to? Probably PlayStation, I'm assuming? Yeah, probably just PlayStation. Yeah. And, I mean, I'd probably find ways to just get a Nintendo console from somewhere else like i'm sure yeah uh mexican uh people can just buy it or get it from another country or get it imported from the states but yeah very interesting yeah but that would it would suck to not have nintendo but uh mike we got a patreon topic today of course listeners remember if you want to support the show at the five dollar or above level on patreon you can go to patreon.com forward slash the gamecube is cool we appreciate everyone's patronage there today we have a uh we have a topic here from joey sirico and uh, joey says Hey guys, I just wanted to ask, if there was an absolutely pivotal moment in gaming you wish you could have been a part of, or have witnessed, what would it be, and why? For me personally, I would have loved to have obviously been part of the midnight launch of the GameCube in a major city like New York. Nice. But I also would have loved to have been a part of the midnight launch of Halo 2 as well. Seeing images of people busting out CRTs to play games together in line, getting so excited, and having so much live energy towards a game. 
are just things of a bygone era, which is exactly why I wish I could have been there. It's a great question. I think about these things all the time with music, movies, sporting events. Like, this is why it's good to just be a part of as many things as possible. And, uh, and like gaming events are so rare now, especially in-person gaming events right now with the pandemic and everything. It feels like everything is online, like seeing people's reactions to, uh, to game announcements on YouTube and Twitch has kind of become the new thing. But there was something very special about, you know, going to midnight releases in, in high school or, or in elementary yeah. school for Halo 2, like like Joey said. Or I remember our friend Dan going to midnight launches all the time in high school, and I thought he was nuts. because Xbox I was, One, I remember he was there for the Xbox One launch. Yeah, that was an interesting call. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. But uh, yeah, a lot of moments in gaming history that we, of course, remember. We're old enough now to remember lots of things from the 90s and 2000s. But Mike, if you could go back in time or to a time when we were still alive, uh, what would be a moment in gaming history? We were still alive. <laughs> 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 when we were still, we're now dead. Uh, if we, when we were still alive, if you could pick a moment to uh, to go back to uh, because you missed out for whatever reason, what would it be? You could just say alive. <laughs> you don't have to say still alive. <laughs> but yes, when we are alive currently, uh, back in the day, um, uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff that I would love to go back to. Uh, and just before I say that, I, I I got I do have to say we have been pretty lucky in terms of like just stuff we've been able to experience that I've kind of taken for granted. Mm. Um, I was thinking of something the other day. Uh, I was talking about Harry Potter to someone and how – I'm not sure about you, Neil, but I remember lining up as a kid to get the books at midnight releases. Okay. And that's something that um, I thought is pretty cool and I never really thought of it since. And then someone – I told that to someone and they're like, oh, my God, I wish I could have been there. And I was like, yeah. oh, I guess, yeah, I guess I was lucky in that sense to, to have that. And then you and I also went to Revenge of the Sith. We went to the, the opening night for that. Yeah. Uh, and like, how cool is that to tell someone? Like, we went to the opening night of like the fine, what we thought was going to be the final Star Wars movie. <laughs> it was supposed to be, yeah. Midnight releases of movies that that's still a thing. People still do that, like especially for Marvel films recently. Harry sure. Harry Potter is a good point. Imagine standing out for any book in twenty. I know, like just a book, just a book. <laughs> Not even Harry Potter, just any book. Imagine a midnight release of a book. Like yeah. people standing out for that. That was just an, an incredible thing to be a part of. I never did the midnight launches of Harry Potter books. I usually mm. I usually got them as gifts either for uh, Christmas or my birthday. Um, so, yeah, I was not that avid of a reader. I would just wait to get them from parents. But, uh, yeah, th- th- I remember that being in the newspapers too. But, uh, yeah, video games. Let's talk about some video game things. Yes. So, of course, uh, we were lucky enough to um, experience the Switch and get it. You and I both got to get it in 2017. And mm-hmm. uh, when it came out, March so that's probably one of the only times that i actually was involved in a video game big launch day mm-hmm. and that was really really cool like i'm i'm really grateful that we decided to both do that neil because that was uh and we did in different cities which also was kind of cool in that sense but yeah uh... <laughs> yeah you were in london i was still in mississauga at the time uh i took the day off work i had a doctor's appointment so i was like i'll just take a <laughs> this day's this day's a wash so i got breath of the wild and the switch day one that was great but yeah, the some that I wish I could have been a part of, uh, definitely Halo, I think, just in general, like the first Halo. Mm. Um, we were a little too young when it first came out. Um, you know, obviously we played it in, in school and everything, and, and we played it uh, with friends, but we didn't get to experience it on the same level yeah. as people who were maybe three, four years older than us. Mm. So that would have been really cool to kind of just like be there when Halo first started. Sure. You know, in 2001, I guess, or whatever it was. Yep. Uh, another big one for me that we weren't a part of because we probably had just been born was when Doom first came out mm. uh, in univer- like for universities, like when that, that ROM was going around and people were playing it um, in college yep. 
through their like with their servers and stuff like that that must have been so 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 cool mm-hmm. um to be part of this this community almost yeah. right uh and and uh, and just knowing you know that you're like you know almost like part of history in that sense mm-hmm. so that would have been amazing yeah oh yeah the first like any of those early games like the first time seeing a first person shooter uh, i'm trying to think of games that we've seen in our lifetime that's like super uh like just groundbreaking groundbreaking yeah thank you like like maybe vr comes to mind but like it's it's hard to think because most of the the games that we play now are just iterations of of, of genres that came out in the yeah. 70s 80s and 90s yeah great because even vr isn't necessarily groundbreaking no it's almost it's it's been a quite a slow uh launch of vr you mm-hmm. know like very slowly a slow build-up where doom was something that just came and it's like wow this yeah. is insane and mm-hmm. i can play this online like that was like another thing right playing it online with people <laughs> in the 90s is, is just something that is completely insane mm-hmm. and then the last one i have is um i would have loved to be at the nintendo store in new york city when smash ultimate got announced and they showed that absolutely hype trailer yeah uh with kirby coming down from the sky i would have <laughs> lost my mind that's a great that's a great video i love the the footage of the nintendo store so that, that was fun it was people fun to, freaking out oh it was so cool to see just the wave of people freaking out ah man it makes me miss crowds so much i i'd love to go back to that that was fun that was fun luckily we were we were alive then to see it so that was good yeah, in a way, we 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 did we were alive, not anymore. But uh, yeah. you know, uh, what what uh, what are some that you uh, you would love to be a part of? Yeah, my my first one is the same as Joey. I would love to have uh, to have been old enough to have afforded a GameCube and to have been there day one on November eighteenth. Yeah. Would love to have been like our March third, twenty seventeen. Uh, to have done that uh, in the GameCube generation would have been really really cool. Uh, I've always said that I feel like I was born like three to four years too 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 late. I wish I was born more like in the if I could pick like late 80s just so that I could have been able to experience the 90s a little bit more and then be a teenager or at least a young teenager in the early 2000s uh, like when the superhero movies were coming up and the GameCube was coming out I wish I had like a part-time job or at least a paper route to be able to afford you know going to EB games and picking up a purple GameCube with Luigi's Mansion and Rogue Squadron 2 <laughs> those would have been my two games for sure and then being able to be you know, aware of games like Melee and Pikmin coming out. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we missed it. But luckily, you know, today with technology and eBay, we can go back and buy all of those games and cover them on a podcast. So in a way that we, we can go back and relive those moments, kind of. But it would have been nice to have seen all the GameCube stuff out on opening night. Would have been really cool. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, going back a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier now to the mid '90s, we were too young to 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 really be playing games yet. But uh, the Nintendo PlayStation is a huge piece of Nintendo's history. That it's probably my favorite piece of Nintendo's history, and it's that uh, a piece of just Nintendo's pride uh, basically brought life to the PlayStation, which almost killed it. Sony was supposed to make the disc system for uh, the Super Nintendo. Nintendo ended up kind of going behind their backs last minute and partnered with Philips. Uh, Sony, mm-hmm. out of basically anger and uh, feeling dishonored they said screw you guys we're gonna make our own console and then in 1990 1996 i think when the playstation 1 came out they said all right we're gonna make our own playstation and they did it and they almost put nintendo under with the playstation 1 and the the playstation 2 so one of nintendo's uh, biggest competitors in the 2000s and up to this point was created by themselves which is really neat it's it's a really neat story i love it it's Mm -hmm. it's a huge part of um Game Over, I believe that book uh, is referenced in that book. So a really cool part of Nintendo's history. I wish I could have seen that uh, that space world when Nintendo was like, nope, we're going with Philips. And then Sony coming out <laughs> a few days later with all of their stuff would have been really neat. And then the last uh, piece of uh, video game history I wish I could have been alive for. This one I was not alive for. Um, 
in the eighties, uh, watching the video game crash would have been really cool. Uh, yeah, not not exactly yeah. fun from a gamer's perspective, <laughs> but just watching Atari and all of these crappy video games coming out week after week, like E.T. and Pac-Man and uh, random serial companies putting out video games too, just watching the quality diminish and diminish to the point where video games were on the brink of basically never coming back again. There was like a couple of years of just nothing for video games because of E.T. being the famous one and all those games being put into a into a landfill in the desert. That, that would have been really fun to have to have witnessed. <laughs> yeah, the uh, and that just reminded me of something else I would have loved to be part of more, which was the Sega versus Nintendo kind of era mm-hmm. of like really just like three, two or three like really big years, maybe from uh, 92 to 95, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even earlier than that. That would have been really interesting to be a part of. That's something that, you know, we obviously missed. Yeah. But it, w- it would have been interesting like, Christmas Day, do I get a, a Genesis or do I get a, a SNES, right? Yeah, exactly. That was a, The console wars were a huge thing. And now it seems like everybody owns at least one console. Like the whole console war thing, it's, it's kind of, it, it's nothing like it was in the 90s. But uh, just thinking about the, like this exercise today, thinking about like things that we weren't alive for. Imagine, or imagine living in a time when it wasn't mainstream for an adult to like these, the things that we like, like nerd culture, video games, cartoons, sci-fi, like in the seventies and nineties, you were pretty weird if you were our age and still liking this stuff, really. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's only been very recently that like you could be in your late twenties, early thirties and go and see Spider-Man in theaters without a kid with you and it not be weird. (laughs) So uh, as nice as it would have been to have been a part of some of these things in the eighties and nineties, we are very lucky now to be living in, in this time. Yep. No, there's uh, there's pros and cons to everything for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, thank you very much, Joey, for writing in. That's a great question. We really had fun answering that one. Yeah. And uh, of course, yeah, patrons, please write in if you have a great topic. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're not a patron, uh, message us on Instagram uh, because our second favorite segment here is coming up, Neil. It is the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to leave us a rating or review, you can do so on whatever podcast service you listen to us on. We understand Spotify just got the uh, option to leave a review, which is very nice. not reviews just ratings just ratings that's true give us a five star (laughs) over on spotify we would love that and then you can message us on instagram we love to get dms from our uh, our listeners uh let us know what they thought of an episode another way that i realized that people can write in that i would love is uh corrections mike and i are not perfect we do get things wrong from time to time uh and specifically i rebel wrote in uh, a couple times this week actually she's all caught up on our episodes and uh she just wanted to let us know mike this is something i did not know the lego skywalker saga it's not going to be a collection of lego games it's going to be a completely new game from the ground up did you know that i did not know that i honestly <laughs> i just assumed that it was the first six games mm-hmm. um that they just were going to remaster or remake or whatever and then uh put the um the the, the newest three uh movies on there as lego yeah uh, as lego games but apparently they're doing it all in kind of one big game so that's really cool to see yeah built from the ground up so yeah thank you for that correction Thank you for that correction, because I will probably be picking this up. Yeah, now I'm definitely picking it up. I thought it was going to be a collection of games like what they did with Harry Potter, but knowing that it's a ground-up game, and I've even heard from early reviews that gameplay is kind of like the uh, that Jedi, the Fallen Order uh, game that came out a couple years ago. Like, it's going to okay. be a bit of a different kind of Lego game, so I'm very excited for that one. Uh, and then another correction here uh, from I Rebel again. Going back to the Matrix episode from a couple uh, weeks ago, I misgendered the Wachowskis uh, while we were, I think it was when I was reading the back of the case, and I it may have slipped a couple other times during that episode. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, but we're both still very excited to see Matrix 4 uh, when we can safely go to the movie theaters without, uh, w- without catching COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one day. <laughs> one day, Neil. Yep, yeah, someday. But uh, until then, Mike, why don't we uh, talk about some GameCube games? What do you think? 
Let's do it, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 81 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 362 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered Hitman 2, Rogue Ops, and Second Sight. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're talking about a, a large amount of platformers here, Mike. A hammock of platforming <laughs> games, if you will. A hammock t- of cake. Ha- a desk of Cheez-Its. We're talking about all the Frogger, Tack, and Tie games on the GameCube. Nine games total. It's a big day today, and uh, these are the platformers, kind of the uh, the forgotten platformers from this generation. After we were done playing Mario Sunshine, Crash Bandicoot, Sonic, or Ratchet and Clank, these were the games that were left over, and the platformers were huge in the late '90s and early 2000s. Yeah, this was the era. I mean, yeah, mm. every we've talked about this. I think I even mentioned it last episode. Every uh, franchise seemed to have a kart racer, an adventure game, and then, of course, a 3D platformer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to do it in some way. And, you know, most games on the GameCube have, you know, some element of 3D platforming in them, of course, because mm-hmm. that was just what you did at this time. Right. But these games are, you would call them strictly 3D platformers. That's what they're kind of based around. And uh, they're often in these collectathon games. If you want to think of uh, Spyro as an example, right. uh, Crash, like you said, there's also the the Donkey Kong Country games in, the, in that vein as well, uh, um, Banjo-Kazooie. So, you know, this mm-hmm. was the era, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I would say the peak, the, the golden age of 3D platformers in yeah. a sense. And uh, these are... Not necessarily bad games, as we're going to get into some of these, but they're just games that weren't as uh, AAA or in the mainstream as, as others. Right. We had we also had enough, I think, of this this genre by <laughs> by the mid two thousands. It's true though. Like you could tell the yeah. gaming industry had had enough of of doing this collectathon platforming thing, which is funny to say in a time when like we've basically been playing like first person shooters. Feels like I've been on top of the list for best selling games for so long now, especially with games like Call of Duty and Halo. Uh, so it's funny that this genre got so fatigued so quickly, too. As quickly as it came, it, it went just as fast. Yep. And uh, a lot of these platforming games uh, were also on multiple consoles as well. So unfortunately, they couldn't really master any of the, the hardware that they were trying to be uh, featured yeah. on. Like the GameCube was very great at like water physics and everything. N- Nintendo specifically, their designers got it down pat with with Sunshine and some of their other games. But when you have, you know, when you have companies like EA and Activision trying to put out their games on PC, Xbox, PS2, Game Boy Advance, DS, GameCube, like it, they couldn't master any of it. So all the games kind of looked a little bit, they almost all felt unfinished uh, graphically. None of them really pop nearly as well as, as a Mario game does. And that didn't help them either. I think that if they could have stuck in with one console, it would have risked sales, obviously, but the games would have aged so much better. Uh, making them hard to go back to today, but uh, nonetheless, lots of gamers have have fond memories of playing some of these games. Like like we went back and talked specifically about. Uh, uh, why can't I remember the oh, Spyro? Thank you. Uh, like when we went back specifically and talked about Spyro, we uh, we had mm-hmm. a couple friends on the show who grew up loving these games, and so, in for, in some cases, it was the only game they ever got to play. It's the accessibility too of them, right? Like yeah. it just they're just so easy to pick up and play, and. 3D platformers are really tough in my mind because there's a thin line, very thin line between Mm -hmm. making it super kiddish and too easy and, you know, maybe fun for half an hour and making it, Mm -hmm. you know, difficult enough, but not too difficult, right? Because there are platformers that are just 
punishing and not fun to play at all. Right. So it's always been a, a bit of a interesting genre in that sense. Like we've we've talked about a couple of these licensed games. There's the, the Dora game. There's uh, Rugrats, mm-hmm. I think, too. There's the Looney Tunes and then the uh, Animaniacs platformer yep. as well. You know, most of the licensed game at this time involved a lot of 3D platforming elements and almost none of them got it right in the sense because the developers really... Didn't not I don't want to say they didn't know what they were doing, but the, you know they were tasked with making a game based off of a a franchise mm-hmm. rather than making a game, and I think that was the big problem with with the saturation of three D platformers in this era. Yeah, and they did, some developers did take a risk to make uh, to make new uh, IP, which was nice to see. But they also dipped into some uh, what we thought was long dead IP games from the uh, early arcade era. Uh, so that's actually a really good segue. Let's uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about the Frogger games on GameCube first. Let's do it, Frogger. My God. Oh, boy. (laughs) Frogger was a 1981 developed game by Konami. Of course, it was a huge arcade hit back then. And since 1981, it's just turned 40, I guess. We've seen 39 Frogger games. I did not know that there were this many. Basically, one a year, every year. That's crazy. Well, I mean, not necessarily because there haven't been Frogger games that have come out that often since the mid-2000s. But like late 90s, mid-2000s, yeah, we had like two or three a year coming out. Yeah, between 2003 and 2007 specifically, there were three a year, mainly because (laughs) they were being put out on different consoles, like the Game Boy Advance would get its own, then the PS2 and the GameCube would get the console versions, then there'd Mm -hmm. be one on, I guess, PC, since mobile phone games weren't quite a thing uh, yet back then. But yeah, they came out frantically in the 2000s, and I don't know why. No one was asking for these Frogger (laughs) games. I don't know anybody that owned any of these games either. No, no, I definitely didn't. And I didn't own any of them. And honestly, I, I didn't own any of these games that we're talking about today. So I did have to go back and try and find some. And I had to borrow them from friends as well to play some of these games to just mm-hmm. be able to talk about them. But um, yeah, like this this platformer era, as we talked about, it was uh, omnipresent everywhere, right? Yeah. And so we could only play so many platformers. <laughs> I know. And then developers had to go and like dig out like platformers or IP from the 80s to try and like wedge into this 3D platforming yep. environment when they really didn't fit. And of the and of the free, three franchises that we're talking about today, Frogger was definitely the miss of the three. Basically, what they did was they took the, the Frogger gameplay from the arcade, which if you know video games, you know what we're talking about. You, uh, you're you basically just a frog trying to cross a street. It's a very popular arcade game. But what's funny about Frogger is that like, even though it is so iconic, you know, it's sold amongst all of its games, 20 million copies worldwide. I feel like that you don't see Frogger on like gaming merch as often as you see something like a Pac-Man or a Space Invader or Donkey Kong, it doesn't have that same pull as the other franchises did or do. Yeah, that lasting impact, you know, it doesn't seem to have that as mm-hmm. much, uh, even with the Seinfeld episode dedicated yeah, to it. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. There's an entire Seinfeld episode dedicated to the Frogger, where uh, George Costanza has uh, the high score on a Frogger machine, and uh, the whole point of the episode is that they're trying to keep the machine powered on so that he can keep his high score uh, and uh, the high score of arcade games has, has been a thing since the beginning of time. And uh, on December 22nd, 2009, there was a high record score on Frogger of 896,980 points, uh, which was later on beaten by uh, someone else back in 2012. They got over 970,000 points. And then there was the high score from Seinfeld. So it does it does show up in <laughs> random pop culture things like Wreck-It Ralph, Pixels and whatnot. Where's George's score rank in those? <laughs> does he have an actual score in there? Like he they does. He d- they show it. It's eight hundred and sixty thousand six hundred and thirty points. Okay, and was that the world record when he first like did it? 
No, I think that was just that that was just their number that they went with. So like the high scores nowadays are into the uh, into the millions. Wow. Um, they're people who have scored over a million points, and uh, I, I can't say that I'm that good at Frogger. I remember I think I had a Frogger game on like the the Mac PCs that we used to use in computer class in high school. I remember having a Pac-Man and Asteroids. I'm pretty sure Frogger was on there too. Yeah, yeah. Frogger seems to like make its way to to a lot of these like third party things that uh, were not quite game consoles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just like like handheld <laughs> devices in some sort. Yeah, but yeah, Frogger uh, it had like you said was around a lot in this era, and the Game Boy Advance versions of Frogger are actually really really good, Neil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, this probably isn't a surprise. Like we've talked about this a lot, how uh, a lot of these older games ported very well to the Game Boy Advance because it was basically a SNES. Right, exactly. You know, in all intents, t- like a, a mobile SNES. Mm-hmm. So uh, for the, the Frogger Game Boy Advance games score very high and did very well commercially, yeah. uh, too. Uh, and then there was a very infamous Frogger that came out. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, Neil, but um, <laughs> this is called Frogger The Great Quest. Okay. And so this came out, I think, in 2001, November 2001. It's known as one of the worst games ever made. <laughs> it was supposed to go to GameCube uh, eventually. Whoa! I just saw the box art. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is that's that's all you need to know is that box art. His character design is disgusting. Yeah. It's so like uh, uh, anthropomorphic. Like it looks like a person, mm-hmm. and it's really weird to to see in that sense. But uh, yeah, it was supposed to go to the GameCube when it came out but eventually those plans were canceled thankfully yeah. uh, the game is horrific like Man. <laughs> everything in this game is nightmare fuel i hate everything about it i also hate the fact that he's wearing cargo shorts and he's kind of dressed like an indiana jones a teen indiana jones <laughs> but he's got that look of like a a carousel ride that's kind of been like like a 40 year old carousel ride where like the, the paint is dry or the paint is fading and god his eyes are like nightmare the way he's looking at you and your soul What's on his t-shirt there? Is that no, it's a no something sign. No, is it a space invader symbol? No. Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even like look closely because I had to avert my eyes. Uh. Yeah, quickly. If The more you look into this, the more questions I have. But those early PC graphics did not, do not hold up by today's standards. And the game holds a 32% on Metacritic. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a generous 32. <laughs> humanoid frogs are an interesting an interesting gamble. Like, you've got Kermit the Frog, who's kind of humanoid in a way, but even when he walks around, it's creepy. He doesn't have teeth, at least. No, no, you do not give a frog <laughs> teeth. But they did do that. They did give the frog teeth, I believe, in Frogger Beyond. And Frogger was trying to find his way into the 20, 21st century as a 3D platformer, like what Pac-Man did. I think the Pac-Man transition was a little bit more seamless. Uh, giving the Pac-Man world, the Pac-Man world, giving him like uh, boxing gloves and legs, it seemed to work out a little bit better. But they they did eventually land on I would say a decent art style for Frogger in uh, in the Beyond trilogy. Which uh, let's dive into it right now. No mm-hmm. no pun intended. Uh, Frogger Beyond was released on December six, two thousand and two. It's developed and published by Konami. Glad to see Konami giving us a little bit more support. That's not Castlevania. <laughs> uh, it's also on Xbox, PS two, and Windows. This game rates a six out of ten. If you wanted to pick it up today and you live in the North American region, you're looking at about 50 bucks. But if you if you live in in a PAL region like in the in Europe or Australia, $400 for this game. Why is it that expensive? I thought it was just like one person selling some like rare copy or something and then I kept looking around mm. at older posts and like yeah, 300 to $400 for the PAL version which does have a different cover art. It's got the space okay. kind of cover which looks cool. Yeah. But um I it's not worth to spend no. another $250 at least. So uh yeah, I I I didn't find anything else about if the game was different at all, uh, hmm. maybe if someone knows if this game is different, then please let me know. But uh, yeah, 
Um, there is a price difference there. Well, the cars, the cars are on the other side of the road, I suppose. If you live in the, oh, Euro- yes, the European region, they're they're on the wrong side of the road, of course. So, Neil, I did play this game. Oh, okay, cool. Did you borrow it from a friend, or do you own this one? I can't remember now. No, I wish I owned this. This would be kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, no, I, uh, I I I emulated it. Hmm, okay. And you know that's the the best way to play a lot of these games. The only way you can play a lot of these games now. Yep. Konami doesn't want to. Konami doesn't want to give you. Doesn't want you to give them any of your money. No, no, they don't want money. But yeah, so I did play it. So I have a lot of notes on this game. Unfortunately, the other two Froggers I did not play. So I have less notes about that. So that's okay. You can lead. You can lead the charge on those those ones, Neil. But sure. um, uh, just to introduce the game, you know, we have this lovely cutscene. Uh, actually, even before the cutscene, Neil, uh, I don't know if you heard the Frogger rap. Yeah, I think I did briefly, and it was a little. I... Rapping in video games, I don't know why they intend on doing it. I guess they were trying to take a page from the DK64 book. Did mm-hmm. you have a couple of the lines there that you want to oh, lay down? No, I, I wish I did. I don't remember <laughs> any of them. It's like relatively fast. It's like faster than the DK rap, so, and they're not as memorable. Okay, gotcha. After that rap, though, the, the one thing that I noticed in the opening of this game is why is Frogger in some kind of an underground lair with a pentagram on the floor? Oh, well, I can tell you all about that, Neil. Uh, so, basically, the plot of the game is that this is like a young Frogger. Mm. We're going back to the young days of Frogger. And, you know, he's he's kind of just graduating to be able to um, to be a frog, I guess. It, it, think of it like the B movie, you know, when they uh, when they have to go find their, their jobs. Okay, I haven't actually seen the B movie yet. That's one of my Jerry Seinfeld missing pieces in my history. I, I was oh thinking, my God. I'm thinking of it more like Star Wars, where they started with, you know, you start with your, your Darth Vader storyline, and now you need to go back to the Phantom Menace to find out okay. what was young Anakin doing when he was a child with the Gungans. Yeah, what was young Frogger doing here? And I got to say, the cutscenes, like the opening cutscenes are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like the the graphics for 2003 here, it's a, a wonderful style of cell shading that they used, yeah. which holds up really well. Like it's not traditional cell shading because some of these cell shaded games, there's a particular quality about them mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, this is 2003. Yeah. Or this looks... Just a little more modern, I guess you could say. Um, I just was really impressed, to be honest. Yeah, I I was looking at it and thinking, this is cell shaded, but it's not the same cell shaded that we talked about, like on Wind Waker or Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. It was more of like a cartoon, like literally a cartoon. I, I thought it, I mean, it reminded me a lot of the 1980s uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, actually. More more like that, where it's a bit... Which is funny, because that's Konami as well. Exactly, yeah. I think that they <laughs> had some inspiration from TMNT to make these games, uh, just taking turtles and frogs and kind of giving it the same <laughs> same shades of green, really. It's just that the characters yeah. do not quite have the same personality as the, as the Ninja Turtles do. Yeah, but um, so this game, the plot, like I said, he's starting off as a little frog, making his way in the world, and then he has to go to the Council of Elders. Neil Mm. and that's where the the pentagram comes up where he's just (laughs) in the middle of this and so there's a bunch of elders and I kind of like how they did the designs because each elder is like supposed to be almost a parody of like a character in in pop culture so you have like a very Arnold Schwarzenegger-esque like guy you have someone who's um I don't even know if you would call her like the Catwoman Halle Berry like like style uh as well anything that was popular in the early 2000s right right and then my favorite one of all is there is an exact copy of a of a Morpheus character, a Frogger <laughs> Morpheus. They even do this nice. like the they try and do his voice almost identical. Uh, he is um, he sits in this like pod thing, and there's a computer in front of him, uh, and at all times there's green text going down the computer. He's got the same Morpheus like black coat outfit, sunglasses. Uh, mm. The line that he says 
is almost identical to the Matrix. It's like now if you like if you choose this, you can fully experience what the world will offer or something okay. like that. I'm like, oh my god, like this is that, that, those are so things that would knows. completely go over the the target market's head here because this is clearly a game targeted yeah. at kids. Uh, maybe parents who grew up with Frogger, but I guess that's a parent joke. But like most parents are not playing Frogger with their kids. Maybe you were back in 2003, but uh, it's a very, in- very interesting references to make in a, in a kid's game. Yeah, that was so that I really wanted to bring up because I was like mm. completely thrown off. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, in terms of the gameplay itself, it's not anything crazy. It's almost identical to the Game Boy Advance games of this era. And okay. they just made it 3D, which is honestly the move to make, right? Like instead of trying to do mm-hmm. an adventure game. So props on them there i suppose so the only issue that i have with it is that they keep the top down look of the old school arcade but it's a top down of a 3d rendering so like sometimes not always sometimes you're right it's at a 2.5d angle but when it's at that straight down angle i don't know why they went with that because you lose all detail that the characters had like sometimes you're just looking at if it was a boss fight sometimes you're just looking at like a giant hat and like you can't really tell what the character looks like or anything so it takes all the depth out of it which is kind of strange um but yeah yeah Yeah, that was weird when they would like give you just like the only 2d uh and that usually happened on like smaller platforms Mm. and i wonder if like they just didn't build the world enough so they could change the camera but maybe um, uh, another thing i did like about him obviously his movements were quite clean and they did a good job with that Uh, i liked whenever you didn't you know you weren't using him uh and you weren't in the pause menu or anything he just did his little bop from side to side <laughs> and uh, that's yep. identical to the Game Boy Advance version and so that was nice to see that they brought that in that's cool uh, all the the levels are actually really well designed for the most part like the non-boss boss um, level areas uh, there's a couple where you're like in space uh, like uh, trying to go through cars that way there's a lot of water levels too so it's it's relatively well done there yeah they kind of take the uh the crossing the street I guess environment from the original arcade game and, and put it on put you in different environments like yeah. Frogger's in volcanoes and lava pits and everything uh I find it kind of confusing whenever Frogger lands in water and he drowns or whatever like you have to start again it's like he's still a <laughs> yeah. frog I don't know what's going on here I don't think that the game like this needed boss fights personally like I was I was watching gameplay of it and then you know towards the end of every level like any traditional platformer you fight some kind of boss related to that world environment yeah uh, I, I would have preferred to just have like more difficult levels or just challenges puzzles that's what i think would have been cool yeah maybe like a boss fight at the end but like with with this type of a game like you don't need a boss fight at the end of it but this was Mm. still in the era where every game needed a boss fight um it kind of reminded me of uh something like what would have been cool would have been something similar to towards the end of super mario odyssey where the dark side or the darkest side of the moon is just this really long obstacle course which was brutally frustrating towards the end but something like that as a as like a kind of a test at the end of the level would have been better uh as a frogger challenge as opposed to fighting some giant robot or something which i think that they do better in the next game in the trilogy it's funny that you say that because they do kind of have a an end like the end boss is basically that where you're going through kind of all the trials and all the different mechanics that you've gone through through the game which mm-hmm. is like all put together at the end there so i it looks like the end is better because I didn't actually make it to the end of the game, Neil, even though this was like a, I don't know, six hour game, maybe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one reason for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I was playing the game, I was like, you know what? This ha- I see that it has around, you know, six out of 10. And I feel like this is a little unfair. I think it should at least have seven, right? Mm-hmm. It's seven out of 10 would be a better score for this. And uh, I didn't really understand why there's like a lot of mixed reviews. Cause I, I genuinely enjoyed myself while playing it. Mm. But then uh, I found the fire level boss 
and it's this big mechanical bat thing okay. uh, that you have to dodge these fire attacks. As you're doing it, you're, you have to, you know, hop around, click all four switches, and then the boss level moves up, and then you just keep doing that uh, until you get to the third round. So the first three rounds are pretty easy, but then the sa- the third round, um, the attacks from the boss, the fireballs that are shooting at you, are, like, immediate. They just come at you within, like, a millisecond. Oh. They just kind of appear and you die. Oh, and no. This was like one of the most frustrating experiences I've ever had. <laughs> like I, I couldn't believe what was happening. I just would immediately die, you know, after like five minutes of, of trying to do this boss fight. Oh, and man. I probably spent like, you know, I didn't spend too long because I was getting frustrated. I spent like 20 minutes maybe. And then okay. I, I looked this up because I'm like, okay, I can't be the only one where this has happened. <laughs> and I found a video from uh, Nitro Rad. We've talked about his channel before. Really good Canadian content creator. And he does a lot of these early 2000s games. And so he talks about Frogger Beyond. And he had the same thing as me, where he could not get mm. past this boss. And because the fire is legit impossible to dodge. And it okay. took him five hours. Oh, my to, God. To, to do, which is longer than the game. <laughs> and because uh, there's no sound cues or visual cues or anything. The fire just appears and you die. Oh uh, and gosh. so what he had, the how he beat it was that he actually had to record it, go back in slow motion Mm-hmm. And like whiteboard exactly how the boss was killing him, <laughs> and and they kind of cheesed it to figure out how to get past this. Wow! So if you could map out this game like developers do nowadays to see like when people quit, how many people beat the game, this game probably has a very low completion rate if it's if they you. put it online. Yeah, there's no way that like children are figuring that out. No, I I because I, <laughs> he says at the end of his video, he's like, I challenge anyone to come forward and say that they beat this game <laughs> as a kid. Show me the credits rolling on this game, and I'll believe you. It's got to exist. But I I feel bad. Do you think you're going to try and go back to it and beat it? Or are you just going to hang up Frogger Beyond? Hang up Frogger Beyond until they put out a remaster. <laughs> because <laughs> cause I, I that was one of the most frustrating experiences I've ever uh, ever had in gaming. I'm very sorry, Mike. But you did have other chances to, to beat a Frogger game on GameCube. There were a couple other ones. So let, let's, uh, let's move on to those games. But uh, first, why don't we read the back of the case for uh, Frogger Beyond? Let's do it. All right. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Frogger Beyond. Go beyond the pond. Join Frogger on a fun-filled journey as he hops across eight amazing worlds that mix classic Frogger gameplay with great new features. Snowboard ice-covered mountains, travel through lava caverns, and navigate the depths of outer space. Unlock gameplay areas, earn power-ups, and much more in this all-new addition to Frogger's family. Very nice. Very good. Very good. Yeah. 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 It's 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 a yeah probably six out of ten is what I would give it just because of that boss. But if it weren't for that boss, it'd probably be be higher, which is a little too bad. Yeah, well, it does get slightly better with the next game, I think. But uh, Frogger's Adventures, The Rescue, was released on October 21st, 2003. This game is developed once again by Konami with the help of Hudson Soft and Entertainment Hawaii, uh, published by Konami. It's also on Xbox, PS2, and Windows. Rates the same, 6 out of 10. It's around $30 if you wanted to pick it up today. And just like the last game, it's around 6 hours to beat and sold a total of half a million copies. That was one of the only games of the Frogger franchise that I could find sales for, so not too surprising. Half a million is about what I would have guessed. I was going to say, the Game Boy Advance games, a couple of them hit over a million. Frogger definitely is a handheld game. It should not be on consoles as this, you know, 
console experience 3d platform with a story and everything which all these games do they all kind of tie into each other yeah i believe from from game to game so if if you happen to be invested in frogger's journey you can follow it from uh from beyond to the the third game that we're going to talk about in a few minutes other than the grand quest because that is like retconned it doesn't no yeah they they wipe that from that's the that's the frogger (laughs) legends uh that uh (laughs) that konami wiped from existence uh but in in adventures the graphics for this one are wildly improved over the last one where the last one was kind of like this cartoon very pastel colors very bright very shiny uh this one kind of goes a little bit darker where there's a lot more shadow and lighting effects the gameplay is all very much the same so we're not going to have as much to talk about with this one i was just very impressed with the way that this game looked graphically yeah it, you know what it, it reminded me of immediately was like the the newer sonic games from this era yeah that's that's that was the kind of art style that i got from it and not to say that frogger beyond was bad in graphics it just was different mm-hmm. uh, the cutscenes especially were really good but the the gameplay itself uh, in terms of watching it isn't that graphically superior for sure but this this one is a little nicer and this is the frogger's adventures mm-hmm. label which is also something to, to mention because I don't know what they were trying to do with Frogger naming conventions <laughs> at this point because Frogger Adventures was actually the the names of the Game Boy Advance games at this point. Right. And so I guess they tried to use the commercial success from that and bring it to, uh, to consoles. Yeah, because we're going to be talking about Frogger, the third Frogger game, Ancient Shadow, in a few minutes. And that one has the similar art style to the first game. So they kind of snap back to the original art style again. So I kind of wish that they did three games that looked like this, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. It uh, could have got a little bit more. But even the boss fights look cool. Like, I I would have thought maybe the same thing with the first game. Frogger doesn't need bosses. But this one, they look pretty beautiful. Like, there's this one really neat uh, boss where you kind of fight this giant helicopter. It, It looks like a dragonfly as well. Everything is basic, based around, you know, frogs and swamps and whatnot. So it makes mm-hmm. sense. But uh, you're like on top of this building. It's shooting rockets at you. It's a very, very, you know, cookie cutter 3D platformer boss fight. But I was just really impressed with how it looked. And the design of the bosses are very like Mega Man almost, where they, they're yes. these giant, un, unbelievably large robots fighting that you're fighting against. Yeah, this, this, this game featured a lot more like technological things you know mm-hmm. like it felt like almost like mechanical in that way exactly I, I would have preferred it at this point you know when i was looking at all these frogger things and, and how much konami like how many things konami owns <laughs> and like thinking about giant robots and stuff i really wish that they had just leaned into maybe making this a bit more of a crossover game where frogger goes like and teams up with like Bomberman and maybe the teenage mutant ninja turtles as well because the art style is all so similar to those games and cartoons of the time yeah it would have been neat to have had like a nickelodeon unite but with konami's uh, ip Maybe maybe leave out like Castlevania and Metal Gear. I don't know if those fit, uh, but some of their more child friendly franchises I would have liked to have seen. That's actually a good idea. You know what? Because I mean, Bomberman is the same idea with the squares. Like it's you, yeah. you could have easily crossed these two over and made it into some kind of interesting uh, game and have a lot of multiplayer aspects in it too, which would be really fun. It would have been really cool if you could have like some multiplayer modes where like one player is playing as Bomberman, one player is playing as a Ninja Turtle, and you're solving yeah. these puzzles with all of their abilities. It would have been fun. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think just the problem with these Frogger games is the fact that there's not a lot of innovation that takes place with them. You know, no. they're 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 pretty much standard for the day, uh, as well as standard for the game or for the franchise. You know, mm-hmm. there's not there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of growth, no. I, I guess, which is which is tough. You know, it's not everyone can be Mario, honestly. Like they go from 64 to Sunshine to Galaxy. Frogger right. just goes from the same game, the same game, the same game. Uh, yep. Where there's improvements for sure in things like graphical capabilities and and small gameplay improvements, but you know, it's it's really not enough to to make like a wow, like this is a hidden gem on the GameCube. Like this is something that no one talks about. 
Yeah, they're they're neat. They're I think they're good. Like I think six is probably fair for these games. Uh, but yeah, they did not reinvent anything really with Frogger, unfortunately. But we still have one more game to cover, so let's hit the back of the case of Frogger Adventures, and we will move on to the third and final installment. Lily has been kidnapped, and only Frogger can rescue her. It's the adventure of a lifetime as Frogger journeys from the comfort of Firefly Swamp to rescue his girlfriend, Lily. A band of evil henchmen is bent on holding her captive, and she needs your help. Featuring traditional Frogger arcade-style gameplay, you'll need to avoid vicious enemies to save Lily. Not a cute name for a female frog. (laughs) (laughs) Lily Pad. All right, now the last game on our Frogger list today is Frogger Ancient Shadow, released on September 27th, 2005, developed by Hudson Soft, published by Konami. This game was uh, also on Xbox, PS2, and Windows. It rates a 5.5 out of 10, so we'll just call it 6, priced today at around $25. Uh, the only new thing that I can uh, say about this game is that they added, I think this is the one where they added the original, yeah, the classic arcade Frogger game to it. So it's included in this game, which is, I can't believe it took them this long to do it, but they finally did. Yeah, that's, that was a bit of a weird one too. I was like, wait, this wasn't no. in the other ones? Because I was actually <laughs> playing Frogger Beyond expecting to be able to just go into the main menu and be able to play like original Frogger. Yeah. Uh, for this one, I thought this was like especially Mario based. Like, if we want to say the last one looked like Sonic and like or modern Sonic, I should say this one definitely looked like Mario. Like the the textures, the the styles, the the gameplay, everything was very Mario esque. There's even like a castle that looks so close to Princess Peach's castle. Yeah, at this point, at this point, they probably run out of ideas. For some reason, they had to come up with a third game in this trilogy. Just copy copy mario i guess is the last thing that you could possibly do <laughs> I, I still think it looks they've they've gone back to the art style from the first game i really wish that they I think it looks worse than the than the first game, maybe to be honest. yeah I... like in in some way it just it looks um it looks almost i i don't want to say the like computer generated because it kind of is well, it, it is, is but like <laughs> yeah but it, it looks like it's like just like an algorithm went through and created all these stages and all this like design. Like it doesn't look like someone actually was thinking about, okay, like how do I want to design Frogger? How do I want him to appear when this happens? Mm -hmm. Like Frogger beyond, you know, say what you will about it, but there was clearly a lot of love put in from Konami because that was Konami developing it too. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where, where Frogger ancient shadow really just like, uh, you know, what's funny now that I think about it, uh, this makes a lot of sense because I was saying it looks like Mario uh, there's a lot, a lot of areas that look like Mario Party mini games. Oh, well, this okay. is Hudson Soft. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who who made the Mario Party games? They totally took assets from Mario Party to make this. Yeah, I can definitely see that. They did add a few things to to this game over the uh, over the first two Frogger. They added the double jump, which is long time coming. I'm glad that sure. I'm glad that they did that. I guess it makes sense. What else can Frog Frogger do? Jump twice. Uh, they also gave him the ability to grab things with his tongue, which was good. But I really wish that they would have just given us the ability to not have to jump left, right, up and down. Like maybe give Frogger a little bit more agency on going god forbid diagonally or something like uh, just yeah a little more free roaming and not just going from square to square constantly. Just by this by this point, like we're tired of that. Like give us a give us an open world Frogger game, you know? Yeah, and this one definitely, like, the way that, that everything was designed, it felt like it should have been that. Mm-hmm. And they just added in this the square uh, gameplay element just because it's, it's like, oh, well, we have to make sure it is Frogger still. It's like, well, you could have grown a little bit. You didn't have to go full <laughs> quest mode and make it so it's, like, this really gross way of doing yeah. it. But you could have kept this 2.5D uh, point of view and then allowed yourself to kind of 
walk around more and right. not be constrained to squares. So right, like Pac- Pac-Man made all of those games, and you're not gobbling up pellets and ghosts and fruit and everything. Like you are still collecting some of those things. It's an element of the game, but it's not what the game is uh, hinged on. It's 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 expanded, and you know, good or bad as those games are, they were at least innovative for the character. Yeah, yeah, and that's just the be all end all here of Frogger on consoles is that it it really doesn't belong on consoles is sad yeah. enough to say where i really want to see frogger go neil is and i'm sure you're gonna agree with me here give me frogger 99 Ooh, yeah oh definitely how would that work though would it be it would be everybody just playing arcade frogger and if you die you're out kind of thing yeah or something like you know like they figured it out with bomberman and pac-man as well um in the way mm. that like if you get if you have enough ghosts or if you've eaten enough ghosts then you can like send those ghosts to other people and try yeah. and KO them kind of like how tetris 99 works as well yeah like if you eat if you eat a fly in frogger arcade you 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 send maybe an extra like a big car over to someone else's map yeah. or something or you take away a log or something i love that idea i think that that's that's perfect our the 99 template for classic arcade games is pretty much the way to go for everything uh, it's tried and true like at this point like it, it works <laughs> they're yeah all really good i've <laughs> I ha- i've yet to play you know what? Honestly, the worst one, in my opinion, was probably the Mario one, uh, the Mario 35, because it, it was long and I didn't really understand how it worked. I forgot they did that. Didn't they take it down, too? Is that They did, like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Please. It's not going to stay up. <laughs> no. What, what do you think this is, a video game? <laughs> but, uh, but like, Pac-Man has done it fantastic. Uh, Tetris 99. I still play Tetris 99 every once in a while. Same. Just, like, play one or two games, mm-hmm. sit down, play them, and that's it. And that's all I want to do with Frogger. I just want to play it for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. Have a good time, play against people online, and then... Play it again in next week or something. Yeah, play it until you do, like, you have, like, a really good run, and then don't play it again. Yeah, and, and you don't need, like, a ton of instruction to know what to do. Because that goes back to, like, arcade games. Like, the act yeah. playing in an actual arcade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a perfect idea. I think we have a good chance of seeing that if Konami would get off their ass and come back into video games again. Yeah. But while we're waiting for Konami to get off their asses, Mike, why don't I read the back of Frogger Ancient Shadow, and we'll move on to our next game. Yes, sounds good. All right. Frogger is back in his classic beginnings. Frogger's home of Firefly Swamp is being overrun by Dr. Wanny and his evil plans. Join Frogger in his latest adventure as he explores seven different worlds to restore order to his beloved swamp. Yeah, even the worlds, like the style that they do for the worlds reminded me of Mario Party. Like now that I think about it, it's like when you're you're switching between the mini games or party or like the settings, it looks like the same overworld. Yeah, just different maps, different cruise ships, but no Toadsworth in in those games, unfortunately. Damn it. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. But let's move on to a game that was not based on an IP from the 80s. This was a completely new IP made up by Nickelodeon of all companies, TAC, the TAC uh, platforming games. There were three of them on the GameCube, and we're going to cover them right now. There were actually five TAC games total from uh, the GameCube and the PlayStation generation from 2003 to 2008. The last one was uh, back on Wii, and uh, they're all published by... Yep, you guessed it, THQ, the uh, the infamous THQ. I'm not sure if they still own the rights to them. I really hope that they do. Uh, but uh, Tack and the Power of Juju was created by John Blackburn, the CEO of Avalanche Software, who actually first came up with this idea for this little uh, native boy, I guess, back in 1995 and uh, held on to it for three years. It was eventually pitched in 1998. 
And uh, I do you remember when TAC came out? The it really became big in the early to like mid two thousands. It came really fast, but then died. Do you remember the show or the games? Yeah, so I, I like you know vaguely remember them uh, when they came out. And I was talking to some other people, and they're like, "Yeah, I, I remember this on, on TV." And what I didn't know until now was that the game came out you know three four years before the show did, and mm-hmm. this is crazy because this was the yeah. first time that I could find when I was researching it that. Nickelodeon or any company had ever made a game first that was going to be a TV show. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, I was thinking like, what does this remind me of? And I was thinking about Bionicle that we did a couple of months ago, thinking yeah. like, oh, it, it was a toy, then it was a movie, then it was video games and everything. It's kind of like a reverse psychology of what you'd expect Nickelodeon to do. Like usually they were the kings of cartoons and then everything got spun off into toys and comic books and yeah. video games. Cool move by them though to do that. Very neat. Yeah, very cool. Very I, innovative. Like, no, no, I don't, I can't think of anyone who would try and do that. It's very risky. You know what it's like? It's like doing a pilot, but a video game <laughs> as, as the entire yeah. pilot. <laughs> Basically, I don't think the show was super well received. It only had a few seasons and it aired from like 2007 to 2009. So you and I were just in our first half of high school. So it definitely missed us. Mm-hmm. And th- this to me is the era of Nickelodeon that we talked about almost a year ago now where Nickelodeon kind of started going downhill. Uh, in the mid 2000s, like after the Drake and Josh era, like once they started to get into iCarly, I wasn't really a huge fan of those things. Mm-hmm. We we had SpongeBob and Fairly Odd Parents and Wild Thornberries, so we were all set. But uh, the voice acting cast in in these games and and shows is uh, pretty good, actually. We've got uh, Jason Marston who voices Max from the Goofy movie, uh, John Casser who is the voice of the Crypt from Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Oh. Uh, Patrick Warburton is back. He's, of <laughs> yep. course, Putty in Seinfeld, Joe Swanson and Family Guy, and Kronk. so many. Kronk, of course. <laughs> he sounds like Kronk in this game. Like, he like, plays like... the same person in everything he's in. <laughs> That's a good point. Just this, like, big bumbling guy. Yeah, he's perfect. He's perfect for ev- in everything he's in. Uh, Rob Paulson is here. He, of course, is, yeah. you know, voices Wacko and Carl from uh, Jimmy Neutron. And then Jennifer Hale, who voices Samus in the Metroid Prime series. Wow, what a cast. Yeah, it's a really good voice acting cast that they got for... All three of these games, and uh, I'm not sure about the TV show. I think they tried to keep most of the same voice actors, though, for the TV show. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, my only touchstone with these games is that I guess I remember seeing, like, the cases at Blockbuster occasionally for rent, but I wasn't into it. And I, I definitely remember seeing the toys at either McDonald's or Burger King. I honestly thought it was just, like, a kid's meal kind of, like, toy franchise. I did not know it was a video game, like, a, a major video game that people played, and, like, we, we know... We know friends who love these games, and mm-hmm. they're actually pretty decent looking at them today. They're a competent 3D platforming adventure game. Yeah, and they're quite beloved by like a niche community, which is really mm-hmm. nice to see that there's there are a lot of people who like these games. So yeah, yeah, the first game I think on the list here is Power of Juju. Yeah, Attack the Power of Juju was released on October 15th, 2003, developed by Avalanche Software. They'll sound familiar because they developed uh, Disney Infinity, Rugrats, the Dragon Ball Z saga, and uh, they're currently working on the uh, the new Hogwarts Legacy game. So, mm. so they're doing great things nowadays. Um, uh, published by THQ in collaboration with Nick Games, which makes sense. It's also on PS2 and Game Boy Advance, rates a 7.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $30. And Mike, this game sold amongst all platforms 3 million copies. That's pretty good. For a IP that no one knew about that was created by THQ and Avalanche Software, not to say that they were making bad games, but they were definitely making throwaway games for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's that's pretty impressive because you know what? It 
definitely sold more than the Rugrats. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, Jack Blackburn, the CEO of Avalanche, did say in an interview that uh, he, they, he didn't want the Nickelodeon logo on the box because uh, he would or people would think that it's just a game for kids. He did not want this game to be associated with just children for children to play. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that the game did suffer from that. Like I, like what I said up front, I thought that this was a franchise that was a bit too kiddish for me. I didn't want to get into it, but the, the humor and the comedy in it is pretty, pretty decent. Like without being too, you know, just too fart noises and poop jokes and stuff, which the first game has, once they start to kind of get their footing into the later games, two and three, uh, it starts to get to be pretty decent jokes and everything. So it's too bad that they, once I saw that Nickelodeon logo on it, I instantly thought, okay, it's a game for seven to 10 year olds. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely fair. And and I can see why he would have wanted to to not have the Nick logo on it. But the fact that it got made is is pretty impressive. Uh, and IGN actually gave it an 8 out of 10 at the time, which is which was high at the time. IGN didn't give <laughs> a nines to everything back then. And um and they said uh perhaps it's because of the goofy main character, a humorous plotline or some creative ways to present age-old puzzles, but you're compelled to play through tack. I did not actually play this one. I played uh, the Great Juju Challenge, which was lent to me by a friend of the show, Jed. So uh, we will get to my thoughts of, of the game uh, when we hit that. But um, yeah, overall, just Tack in general as a franchise, uh, my to sum, uh, sum it up, I would say pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that that's great. That's a great way to sum it up. Uh, I I'm, I was really interested in the uh, the main gameplay element of the, the first Tack, which is, they use it later on as well, but it's the ability to... Um, control animals in order to 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 explore the environment i love that in video games and i don't think that it's used enough and in 3d platformers it's perfect a lot of the platformers on n64 like uh, banjo kazooie like you could can you could turn into these animals or, or different things or like donkey kong you play as different characters but the ability to control other animals is a really neat thing to do like yeah. you can control orangutans to to bend trees you can control rhinos to smash obstacles uh you can uh, control monkeys to throw coconuts at things, uh, emus uh, to ride on, sheep, uh, and everything like that. It's a really cool gameplay element that I love to see. So it was really neat, and I'm glad that they explored that in in later games. They didn't drop that. Yeah, I like that a lot. That was definitely a unique element for sure. And you might be wondering what is like a power of juju? Like what is this? Uh, what is this juju <laughs> thing that they talk about? Uh, you receive a spirit rattle that gives you access to juju powers, which are required by collecting tokens scattered around the environment. Uh, you you can restore your health and mana, and collect feathers as well. So it is very much a collectathon where you're collecting a bunch of things in the environment, and uh, it's fun. Like it's a it's a great game. Another neat thing that I love that they did was the health bar is on your character. Uh, like what I talked about in Dead Space, that's one of my favorite things. Your your health is on the back. Uh, you don't have like a health bar intact. Your health is uh, displayed on this kind of feather that's on your head. Yeah, uh, I like that. Me too. I love incorporating that into the game any way you can. So the more purple your feather becomes, uh, the more chance you have of dying. That was one thing when I was watching this because, of course, I played the third game in this series. So it's quite different because there is a health bar there. But mm. um, in this one, I noticed that there wasn't really a HUD necessarily. No. And I was really impressed at that. So, mm. you know, good on them for because imagine making a game with no HUD and it's a kids yeah. game like <laughs> that's that's pretty ballsy and you could tell like avalanche was trying to make a real game just like a just a, a genuinely well done game so mm -hmm. a lot of credit to them there yeah i i love this uh this franchise it's I, I can't wait to hopefully find a copy at one of our game stores to uh to pick it up it sounds like that the ps2 version might actually be the way to go i don't own a ps2 but uh, in case 
the players out there are interested, there is uh, 100% completion bonuses. There's extras on the PS2 version if you're going for 100%, which I wouldn't be. But if you beat the game 100%, you get a music video uh, by a band called Wakefield. Do you remember that band? I don't. I, I think they were. I think they had songs on, like the NHL soundtrack. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I saw. I watched the music video. They look very like boy band pop punk 2001. Like, yeah. They were. They definitely did not. Never like these guys were put together by producers. This is They're not, not friends outside of work. <laughs> no. These guys don't know each other. Uh, you can unlock some concept art and uh, and a, an unreleased storyboard in the PS2 version. The concept art for this game and this franchise is beautiful. Yeah, I saw that. Todd Harris is the artist. It's all pencil drawings. They look really neat. Doesn't translate super well to GameCube graphics, but uh, hand-drawn pencil drawings from Nickelodeon concept art, uh, that would be just a fantastic coffee coffee table book idea. Like, I would love some of that. The, the Honestly, the graphics for these games were... Uh, there's nothing wrong with them at all. Uh, you know, they're not, like, blowing any, anyone away, but, like... I I never I was never thinking wow these are bad no yeah they look they look serviceable they look like Spyro yeah honestly like that's that's if you want to think of you know we talked about how the Frogger games look like Sonic and Mario well I would say Spyro would be your touchstone in terms of what this looks like and also a bit of the gameplay uh, for for TAC uh, Power of Juju. Yeah, like I said at the beginning there, like these developers could not harness the power of the GameCube the way that Nintendo could. That's why none of these 3D platformers looked quite as good as Super Mario Sunshine, but they were doing what they could. And yep. uh, Avalanche did get a second crack at TAC with TAC 2, but before we move on to that game, let's read the back of the case for TAC and the power of Juju. The evil Tlaloc has stolen the Moonstones, diminishing the powers of the Moon Juju Goddess. It falls to TAC to right this wrong. He's got nothing but his wits and his, um, chicken suit? Is it... Is that what they say? Is that the... that's it? And it's like a, it's like exclamation point question mark exclamation point question mark. They really got got ahead of the game with uh, texting and punctuation and everything. <laughs> that's really uh, funny. Tech does uh, does have a chicken suit that he plays in uh, in the game, which is pretty neat. Not as cool as him riding on a rhino, but uh, this game was a single player game only, which is uh, too bad. I think that it would have been neat to have had some co op in there, but mm-hmm. uh, nonetheless, we did get multiplayer in Tech Two, which was released on. October 11th, 2004, developed by Avalanche Software, published by THQ. It was also on PS2, Game Boy Advance, and this one was on Xbox, so Xbox fans had no idea what was going on. (laughs) This game rates a 7.5 out of 10, priced today at around $15. It's an action-adventure 3D puzzle-solving platformer. Once again, this one sold quite a bit less, just over a million copies, which is too bad. A bit of a decline in sales, unfortunately, for TAC. Yeah, and this one, I mean, everyone's going to have their own opinion. This one seems to be the the, the least well-reviewed uh, of the of the three, but that's still, that's you know, still got good reviews. Still got sevens and eights sometimes, yeah. so uh, still a, a decent game. I think one and three are probably the best ones, but uh, yeah, this game, uh, it, it has basically the same feel as the first one. It, mm-hmm. it might, I'm sure that they just used, reused most of the assets in that sense and just, oh, yeah. like, hey, we still have some, some story left. It does really feel like just an extension of the first game. Definitely. There are some new elements, though, which are cool. Like, uh, I, I like the uh, ability to control animals in the first game. In this one, Tack can con- can transform into animals. That's so right. he's basically Beast from Teen Titans, which is really cool. Uh, the other thing is that, uh, like, just looking at this game, the dream sequence levels look really neat. Uh, there's certain parts of the game where you kind of go into, like, this nightmarish kind of world like Majora's Mask, kind of, where everything is dark. There's like a shadow around the edges of the screen. There's eyeballs and like tentacles everywhere. It's it's kind of a dark game. 
Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, whoa, these uh, these are some weird scenes, to be honest. Yeah, Nick Nickelodeon are capable of making some really messed up stuff. Like, I even think of some of the earlier SpongeBob episodes that are just weird, and there's some creepy scenes in them, which they've gotten away from in the last decade or so, which is too bad. They were really good at making some creepy stuff. They also made Tack look far less kiddish, uh, kind of like the Anakin Skywalker growing up. Like, in the first game, he's like this nerdy chubby boy with a bowl cut uh, and this one they did away with the bowl cut gave him a bit more of like a you know spiky haired look and he's a bit thinner now he's a bit more athletic so they they made him a bit more of like a video game hero character as opposed to like this putty looking kid i think a bit of like um uh what's that uh how to train your dragon I, yes. I, it's the same kind of idea where each movie he seems to get a little little more buffed and a little more like adult-like and yeah, attack a little bit in the same way here in terms of the graphics. But um, in terms of the gameplay, uh, it has changed a bit since the first game. Uh, the ability to glide was added to the game, which was, which, uh, was cool. nice. So after you complete a level, you would just move straight to the next one where the last one did have an actual hub. And this kind of caused problems for a lot of people. Because when you completed the game, you would start back at your last save point, uh, and uh, that kind of you know messed you up rather than just like being in the hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some new animals, including the bear, boar, frog, beaver, skunk, and squirrel. So again, love the inclusion of animals in here, and we're going to see that actually in the next series as well mm-hmm. of, of yep. how cool animal inclusions are. The feather collecting was dropped, which I actually was pretty happy about because <laughs> watching that, I was like, this seems just like the most generic collectathon ever in that sense. Yeah, they, they did away with the collectathon mechanic and made this one more like puzzle solving and an action game because they, they knew that the collectathon uh the collectathon craze was ending. Yeah, yeah. And for his health, uh the the HUD isn't always there, but it does appear quite often and it's a bar now uh that mm-hmm. shows his actual health. And then in the next game it'll just be a constant bar, which is too bad to see. Yeah. Uh, that they kept going away from that. Usually, it's the opposite. <laughs> they, they they like slowly take things out from the first game, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. And they show the magic there, and I believe that's what that's supposed to be on the top left screen with like a little yeah, the mana. Yeah, a little beaker cup kind of thing going on there, or whatever mm-hmm. the scientific jar is. I, I don't know, but yeah, like it's a competent platformer once again. Uh, but there's more to talk about in the third game. Yeah, let's let's read the back of the case for Staff of Dreams. Tack is back. Troubled with strange dreams, Tack can feel a dark juju emanating from an unfamiliar world. Equipped with new powers, Tack bravely ventures outside the Pompananu tribe and discovers an evil beyond his wildest dreams. I love reading these names, man. It, I, I do get Bionicle vibes from this, though. Just like the, yeah, the tribalness yeah. of it and it's all in the jungle and everything. It's so neat, though. It's a very original looking character. It, very original, like, cool setting. Uh, some people, uh, I, I was reading, some people were like, oh, this is like a budget Tarzan. But I was like, you know what? It's it's more than that, I think. It's it, it's a lot more than just, like, a, a, a Tarzan, George of the Jungle style. They they, they did give it a lot of unique uh, elements. But, yeah, the last game on the list here for Tack is the Great Juju Challenge. Yeah, Tack 3, the Great Juju Challenge, was released on September 19th, 2005, developed once again by Avalanche Software, published by THQ, it's also on PS2, Game Boy Advance, and Xbox, rated an 8 out of 10, priced today at around $30. Now, I don't know if this is correct, but I can only find the sales numbers of around a half a million. So the sales were really declining fast in, the, in this franchise, if that's true, which is a damn shame because this game was actually pretty good. Like, it looks really neat. Uh, Patrick Warburton's character is prominently in it. It's more of like a swap between two main characters, which is cool, and the levels have a time limit to them. So it's more like a race to the finish, like the classic Mario games or even something akin to like a Crash Bandicoot. 
Yep, exactly. And I played this game again, got it from front of the show, Jed. So I spent some time this week playing it and I was quite impressed. But before I actually talk about my experience with it, I just want to give a huge shout out to the fact that I can't think of almost any trilogy in this era where we had the same publisher and same developer for three games in a row. Bravo. Bravo, (laughs) Avalanche and THQ. You did it. (laughs) The difference that makes that you can actually put out three decent games is Mm -hmm. huge because of that, right? Like when you actually are able to retain the same team on those games. You know, we talked about with Spyro and Crash, both of those games, with how it was Somniac for one, uh, Naughty Dog for the other, where both of them, they worked all three games and Mm -hmm. clearly had a vision for the entire trilogy. And that was the same way with TAC. So I think Nickelodeon, you know, I got to give them props for allowing avalanche to actually make three cohesive games uh, for a franchise that like you said wasn't really selling that well necessarily wasn't really known that well yeah look at frogger like that was all over the place in terms of art style and type of game but here we have just a very cohesive consistent uh three games so you know bravo yeah they all continue from one to the next the story makes sense the voice actors are all the same i don't think they recast too many characters if any uh, the same the, the main characters all remain the same throughout, which is which is really good. You have your chicken suit back, which is cool. You have the ability to control animals. Tack is the magic user, while Locke, your Patrick Warburton character, is more like a you know, the brawn. He's like the thing or something. He's he's much stronger than you, which is cool. So yeah, like you said, I really love that they were able to like take their vision from 1995 to 2005 and and finish it. They did make that other game on Wii, which I don't I know nothing about because this is not not a Wii podcast. <laughs> But yeah, so this game, starting off, going through the, the tutorial level, um, they actually say, they tell you everything. So they don't, they, they put the stuff on the screen, but everything that you need to know about the game is told to you as you're going through these vines and this, these platforms. And it's Patrick Warburton telling you everything, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. I, was, I was like, I was like, had a big smile the entire time. And he was saying the individual GameCube controls. He's like, well, press X if you want to do this or press A or just press a and b at the same time if you want to do this instead wow and i was like oh man like that must have taken a while they, they would have had to do this for each individual console yeah for ps2 and xbox which none of these controllers have the same layout so that is a lot of extra work in the back end yeah so that was like you know again a lot of love put in on that sense so i was really happy about that the environments and the designs are great uh the combat definitely feels dated today yeah like i got bored of the combat you know almost instantly Mm. it is just the same thing over and over again very repetitive but you know what i I kept playing and i kept watching the (laughs) cutscenes, which is better than almost any other game that i played recently for gamecube in terms of like researching them uh i i actually wanted to see what happened next and that is just unique in the sense because you know you can tell that this was supposed to be a cartoon that they were right pushing to have this made into a, an actual tv show and uh, you know it's kind of too bad that the tv show wasn't rated as well or or didn't didn't stay around for for too long i think yeah two seasons like you said yeah it ran for only two years from 2007 to 2009 like i said at the front there so like right when we were in high school i've never seen a single episode of it but it did feature the patrick warburton and rob paulson voice actors so they were trying to make this game kind of dovetail into the cartoon which was very well thought out yeah oh definitely well thought out in that sense uh it's funny reading my notes here i said ha there's warp portals like 64 basically paintings <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean if, if, if why not copy one of the greatest 3d platformers of all time right i have no problem with games doing that if they do it well and it's not like blatantly obvious what you're doing 
I agree. And in this one, a hub, the a hub returns. So we have an, an overworld, mm. which I really like because this overworld is really well designed and conceived. It's, um, uh, you know, I want to say it's like heaven. I think it's like I think the place is actually Juju or whatever they call it. Okay. But this is like your, your main area, and it's there's clouds everywhere. It felt felt like a Kid Icarus a bit in that sense. Okay. And um, it was yeah really well designed. The graphics looked really good in that area, and I had a lot of fun playing around. Uh, Great. Just like jumping around there, and the amount of you know dialogue that's in this game. Right. People are t- constantly, especially Patrick Warburton, is constantly talking to you. Good. Uh, all the time, <laughs> and it's you know, this could this could have gotten annoying, right? Super mm. quickly if you used anyone else, uh, or if you just used like a, just a generic voice or just generic lines. But they're almost always different lines. Yeah. So I was I was really really impressed with that. I was gonna say that's what I went back to like look at one and two, and it felt empty as a three D yes. platformer. I'm used to seeing games like. Banjo-Kazooie, where you have the two characters, or Ratchet and Clank, where they have their dialogue and their banter back and forth. They're not really friends, so it's funny in that way. Uh, And then you go to TAC 3, and it's this kind of breath of fresh air where you have this dialogue and banter between two characters. I think it's essential in these types of games where you're on an adventure. It's kind of boring when you're alone. Like You're not meant to be playing a Metroid game. You're playing a cartoon, and you want the characters to have something to say to each other. So I'm really glad that they finally got a chance to do that with with this game. And And I'm happy to hear that it wasn't annoying that you actually enjoyed it at least a little bit yeah i did i honestly did and there was a couple of mechanics like you said the um the faster you finish the level the more rewards you get so i think that was really really good for a game like this where you know technically i could just take forever like i I, to 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 go through one of these levels and because they incentivize that they actually the level design is well done because they know that you have to get through it fast. Right. And which is fine, right? I don't need to like be looking around like it's Breath of the Wild thinking, wow, <laughs> look at the look at you know where I can go. It just it's it's just a very linear kind of game anyways. I know what I'm here for. I'm just here to get, you know, it's like a big puzzle platformer. Right. And um, yeah, this is the last game that Avalanche Software worked on. So right. this is uh, this is the end for this trilogy of Tack. Mm-hmm. And one one other part of this game that I wanted to give a shout out to is the uh, the music in the game is really neat. Yes. It's it's like you mentioned, it's it is reminiscent of Tarzan, like it's the jungle theme. Uh, as far as I know, the music for this game is uncredited. Whoever made the music uh, did not take credit for it, so I couldn't find who oh. did it. So I'm just gonna say it was Phil Collins, and we're gonna move right on from there. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I could see Phil just being like, you know what? I'll just uh, make this video game soundtrack and uh, not tell anyone, and then I'll, then I'll go and do Brother Bear. Of course. Oh, another great <laughs> Phil Collins soundtrack, which we've mentioned many times, I'm sure, on on this show. But yeah, the uh, the levels go from like the kind of calm drums and everything, uh, flutes and whatnot, the sound of rain, which puts me to sleep in video games anytime, yeah. to like levels where there's like guitar solos going and everything. Like it's really, really well done music. So uh, bravo. Big variety. Yeah. So bravo to Nickelodeon for, for putting out such a nice trilogy of games. And with this game, Mike, we could play this one together. I could be Locke. You could be Tack. We can go through it together. Uh, you can I can be Patrick Warburton or you could be if you want to. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have a good time. I would, I would love to do that, Neil. Let's do that next time you come over. Sounds good. Now that you have it, or at least you're borrowing it from, from friend of the show, that would be, that would be terrific. And I actually have the case here, Neil. So uh, do you mind if I read it? No, not at all. Please take it away. Once each generation, the world's mightiest heroes, fiercest warriors, and most powerful athletes gather together to compete in the Great Juju Challenge. Play as both Tack and Locke in their fight for the championship and the future of the Pupanunu people. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I had the same problem there. Yeah, it's not easy, is it, reading names that you don't know? <laughs> yeah, even though I've played this game and I've heard it said, so. <laughs> I, I was going to say, great, great job. Play with a friend and team up for even more fun. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And in case anybody wants to know, Patrick Warburton has 77 roles in 61 titles, according to BehindTheVoiceActors.com which is a website that my girlfriend turned me on to, and it's fantastic. When you, Whenever you want to look up a voice actor's uh, body of work, it's all there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he needs to voice more things. I, I love Putty. But let's move on to the last franchise here of the day, which is Ty the Tasmanian Tiger had three games on the GameCube, which we're going to be talking about today. There was a fourth game that was randomly released on Steam back in 2015. Uh, I don't know who played that, but uh, the more random news about Ty the Tasmanian Tiger was uh, it was remastered and put out uh, on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and I believe Steam as well. That was announced back in 2019, and I believe it came out in early 2020. Yes, and then we also got um, the second Thai game that came out that was remastered fully as well. So pretty mm-hmm. cool that that these are actually still you know alive. It's so random. I honestly thought that Thai the Tasmanian Tiger was some spinoff or a future iteration of Bubsy which also got uh, re-released randomly, I believe. That's fair. That's actually, I, wow, you know what? But now that you say that, it does make sense. Yeah, like if you look at the two characters side by side, they look very similar. I'm not sure what Bubsy is supposed to be. I He's really... a rabbit. Is he a rabbit? Oh, right. Yeah, Bubsy the rabbit, of course. He looks yeah. like he looks like Ty the Tasmanian Tiger, though. Who I know. <laughs> looks like a bunch of animals tied into one because there are no tigers in Tasmania, Mike. But which you pointed out to me, there were? There were, yeah. The Tasmanian Tiger was a... Um, a marsupial that existed for, I guess, I don't know how long, for a long time, that's, <laughs> until it went extinct in, in the 1930s, which is really sad because it's a beautiful animal. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really cool. It's got like um, these, it looks like a dog kind of, uh, and it's got the, okay. the tiger stripes on it, which is why it was called a, a tiger. It's technically not a tiger, but um, oh. they just called it a tiger because of the stripes because they are pretty cool. And uh, Ty the Tasmanian Tiger, Chrome Studios, who made this, um, one of their goals in, in creating this game was to uh, uh, bring awareness to endangered species. And they do a great job because our Australia is home to a lot of endangered species because there's a lot of species there that are in, that are uh, that make their home in Australia only. Right. And uh, they do a great job of showcasing a lot of these animals. A lot of them I had never actually heard of before. Uh, there's like, uh, obviously there's a koala, you know, in here mm-hmm. and sure. there's a whole bunch of other style, uh, animals like that, that we know, but, um, there's a whole bunch of, of cool animals that I never heard of before. And, and even an extinct animal with the, the Tasmanian tiger. So, I, right. you know, good on them for doing this. Yeah. I, I loved looking at these games and just seeing animals that I had no idea what they were. I'm sure that our Australian listeners, like friend of the show, Tristan, I'm sure they're listening to this right now and just like laughing. Cause we don't know, like, I don't know what the hell the, uh, the main villain in these games, he's a cassowary. I don't even yeah. know what that is. It looks like an emu or an ostrich of some kind, but we have Canadian geese near here. And that would be, that would be a great villain in a video game. Actually, the Canadian goose, if there's ever like a tie, the Canadian tiger game, I think the canadian goose would be our villain and there's a quokka in this and in, 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 i think in one of the games oh, I love quokka. Those. yeah they just look like the little smiling guys yeah they're the really, really happy cool. things i see them on instagram all the time i love those yeah. things yeah <laughs> but i had no idea how much like fan support was behind this game uh, it was a kickstarted project the tie the tasmanian tiger reboot or remasters they put out a goal on kickstarter fifty thousand dollars and uh, as of january 8th of this year uh, they had raised over $130,000, so they wow. two and a half times the money that they were looking for, which is un- incredible for a franchise that really doesn't need to be remastered or anything, but I'm I'm glad it is, and it uh, looks like 
they're decent enough, but... And this is a rare one where, like, EA Games, you know, was the mm. publisher of this, and so they were actually able to take it away from EA. Yeah. Like, how many times do you see that happen? Not very. I, I wish that more <laughs> studios would, because EA is sitting on a bunch of stuff that the... But nope, they're just going to keep making FIFA and uh, and their sports <laughs> games, and that'll be about it. Yeah. Yep. But the first tie, the Tasmanian Tiger, was released on September 10th, 2002, developed, like you said, by Chrome Studios, published by EA Games. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Windows, and then later on remastered for the current-gen consoles. It rates a 7 out of 10, priced today at around $40.00. And it sold over a million copies worldwide on PS2, Xbox, and GameCube, respectively. I don't have the sales results for the newest game, but uh, pretty good for a franchise that came out of nowhere. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, like it's a, it's a well-done, I think it's just a well-done game in general. You know, mm-hmm. all these, all three of these games, they're, they're quite similar, but um, sure. it's it's pretty amazing, this Antac, that they were able to sell like a million copies uh, for, yeah, yeah, like you said, franchises that were just started and the risk of creating these was pretty pretty big Mm -hmm, definitely but i think like we said this is the era where you can slap on some cartoonish looking character and and ty straight up looks like a mix of crash sly cooper and uh sonic like tied into one if you had to if you had to describe something if you had to describe a character combining those three characters into one, you would come up with Ty 10 times out of 10. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what he is. That's what he was supposed to do. I think it was blatantly obvious who they were ripping off or copying. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I do love the mechanic that they added with the boomerangs, though, in this game. As a uh, as a fighting mechanic and solving puzzles, you have these boomerangs that are uh, customizable. They explode. They You can control them like you're controlling batarangs from Arkham Asylum, which is really neat and not super common in this generation. Like, we love, uh, like, I was trying to think of something similar that, like, another GameCube game where you could do that. The only thing I could think of was, like, Nightfire when you can control the heat-seeking missiles uh, with oh, a Sentinel. Yeah. That, yeah. But, like, there aren't too many games in the GameCube generation where you can, you know, fire or throw something and then control it. Yeah, honestly, I was uh, I was really impressed because I, I, again, didn't know a lot about this franchise. So looking at the gameplay in that sense and the way that you can attack with it was was pretty unique. So mm-hmm. and there's also uh, you can bite, too. So that was the big one. Oh, good. <laughs> you yeah. just have pretty sharp teeth on the uh, on the cover there. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. But yeah, I think where this game and this franchise shines really is the setting more than anything. Because mm-hmm. like you said, this he's, he's supposed to be just a, a clone of, of Crash, really. Like, that's what a lot of the game play elements are. It's just playing Crash Bandicoot. But when you get to play Crash Bandicoot in a, you know, very obviously Australian setting, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all the voice actors also, I don't know if they are Australian, but they all use Australian accents. And that was kind of cool for me. That that would have made sense. I would have been very confused if they didn't. I think that it was pretty on the nose that this whole thing was taking place in in Australia, and they're all Australian animals. So it would have been funny if they like you walk up to somebody and he's just got like a Canadian or an Indian accent <laughs> or something. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> but the game does look beautiful in a way, uh, especially the the water effects. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of like the it water did. levels, but my gosh, the the team implemented what they called was real time lighting effects. This was something that was used in the marketing material. Uh, when the game came out, um, the light uh, affects Ty in certain ways. The direction of his shadow changes. Uh, plus, the the real world actually reflects in shiny surfaces like ice and water. And I really haven't... I can't think of another developer that was able to process water the same way that Nintendo could. Like, they were very proud about the way that the water was handled in Sunshine and yep. and Wave Race. Uh, but it looks beautiful in, in Ty as well. Like, I was just staring at it for a bit. Like, it looks so much better than everything else. It's very shiny, very glimmering. Uh, for its time, I mean, they've done better since then, but on the GameCube, it looks beautiful. 
It does look beautiful. Yeah, and the remasters also look really good. So mm-hmm. they they did a good job of of upresing it and and fixing some problems too. But yeah, it's um I think they did a pretty good job with this and a mm-hmm. seven, seven and a half out of ten is a good rating for it. Good rating for a first at bat, and they were gonna be coming out with two more, which uh do improve in different ways as well. So uh with that, why don't we jump into onto uh tie two? Let's do it. All right, sounds good. But before we do, let's hit the back of the case of Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. Go wild, down under. Good day, mate. Should I read this in an Australian accent or is that offensive? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I love you, Neil, but I'm not sure if you can do a great Australian accent for the entire case. I love you too, Mike. I won't. <laughs> Good day, mate. Go deep into the wilds of an unexplored Australian outback as Ty the Tasmanian Tiger to free your fellow tigers from captivity in the otherworldly realm of the dream time. Okay. Standing in your way is one cranky flightless bird and an all-round evil genius, Boss Cass. But no worries, you've got an arsenal of high-flying boomerangs and a fierce set of chompers to take out his nasty minions. So, take a trip down under and get ready for an amazing Australian adventure. One thing I would have liked even more, plot-wise, would Mm. be if, like, you actually have to fight humans. Oh, that would have been so good. I would love that. An animal versus a human game would be so sweet. Uh, Going back again to Streetlight Manifesto, the... uh, would you be impressed music video where the animals steal all of the military's weapons and then turn on humans? I think something yes. like that would be super fun and probably <laughs> over the hedge, over the hedge. Oh my God, dude, we're going to bring back Ty in a whole new way. <laughs> I love that. You got boss Cass uh, with like a AK 47 and Ty driving a tank. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if, hey, if you want a message of anti like extinction and animal rights, I think that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's basically what this game is, is preaching. But uh, yeah, let's move on to Ty the Tasmanian Tiger 2. Oh, that's hard. That's a lot of T's. <laughs> Bush Rescue. Bush Rescue was released on October 12th, 2004. Developed again by Chrome Studios and published by EA. This game was also on PS2, Xbox, and Windows, and it has been remastered. Rates a 7 out of 10. Priced today at around $15. And uh, this game was presented as a non-linear open world game at the time, which was bold for a game that was originally a... 3d action platformer uh the player was given a degree of choice as to where where to go and what missions to accomplish which is uh pretty neat for for what this game is supposed to be yeah i agree and uh this is the last game today neil that i have played so i did play this i emulated it um i was gonna buy it but it's 40 usd oh the remastered uh, version the remastered so i decided not to do that that's a little pricey for Mm -hmm. a, a remaster in my opinion, uh, at least this kind of remaster, which is a relatively short game. But like you mm-hmm. said, you, it is a somewhat of an open world style, non-linear. So you can kind of choose where you're going, which I really liked. And probably my favorite part that might not be everyone's favorite part was the fact that there was a kart racer in the game. Yeah, they had the they had the uh, restraint to not release a completely separate kart racing game, which is what every developer would have done, every publisher would have done back in this time. They just kind of snuck it in as a multiplayer mode. There's a kart a hidden kart racing game in Tie the Tasmanian Tiger 2, which is wild. It doesn't look like a Mario Kart uh competitor, but like it looks decent enough to be fun. Yeah, and it is. I had a lot of fun driving around in it. The controls were okay. You know, they weren't like like you said, it wasn't going to blow Mario Kart away or anything, but they, they were fine. And um, it was, yeah, it was 
very much just like a clone that I could have fun with. And I, I, yeah, I wish more games of this era did that instead of releasing this, this whole game just around kart racing, like the crash ones, not crash team racing, but the crash nitro racing, which is right. good doing something like that, which I wasn't a fan of. Yeah. Just put it in this is it's fun. And then you can also use it as an element in the game itself. And you might sell more copies too. Like instead of selling a half a million copies of your platformer and then a quarter million copies of your spinoff kart racer, just pack it in, uh, it's kind of difficult to uh, to market a game that has like a hidden mode inside of it. Uh, they did the best that they could with the front of the case with the tie two. There's one character on the front on the left side in uh, a dune buggy looking cart, kind of like Mad Max ish, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a character on the other side of him in kind of like a mech suit. So it's not obvious that it's a separate mode. You'd think it's maybe just a level in the game, not a kart racing game uh, completely separate of the campaign yeah, uh, yeah. but the, the camp the campaign if you want to call it that uh does kind of include what we were talking about with the giving the uh, the characters weapons they do give them a selection of vehicles and certain weapons yeah. uh trucks mechanical bodies uh helicopters go-karts mortar launchers so we were starting to get into that animals versus humans war that we so desperately crave <laughs> but uh alas they did not go as far as we wanted them to yeah, didn't actually uh, have humans in the game, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, like you said, there are a lot of different weapons and a lot of different styles of boomerangs, which I think was the, the big win in this mm -hmm. game. The fact that I could just kind of um, cycle through. Uh, they had a good HUD in the way that they did it. I could just cycle through all the different boomerangs I wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the most polarizing, I think, um, elements of this game was the mech suits that you could have. Did you okay. see this, Neil? No, not really. I was mainly focused on the kart racing game inside of it. So, <laughs> Of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, in, in every level, you often come across uh, one or two mech suits that are kind of just like lying there. And as Ty, you go into them and each one has like a different power, I guess you could call it. So some, it, it'll just allow you to punch really hard. Some, it'll allow you to like spray water at things. Uh, some, you can fly really far. Some, you can go into the water into the lava and survive that way. So they were cool. Mm -hmm. They were a little hard to control, in my opinion. Um, and I felt like they, you know, this might be unpopular, but I felt like they were just a little unnecessary. It felt mm -hmm. like the developers were tasked with putting a new element of the gameplay in. And they were just like, what about mechs? <laughs> and it's like, well, but you already have a lot of vehicles in the game. Like this, this would have been better suited to put in for the first time in three rather than the second mm -hmm. game. I think that what they were probably thinking was we need something to sell toys because it was around Tie 2 mm. that they were planning on a Tie spinoff TV show as oh. well, which was later on canceled. There's been like no news of it since. Uh, so my guess would have to be that, okay, we have this character, we have this video game franchise, we have this cartoon, we need to sell toys that isn't just this Australian Tasmanian tiger wearing board shorts. Uh, we need him to be doing something cool. We need a set. So let's give him a mech suit, which everybody loved mechs. Everybody still loves mechs. So it makes sense. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't make any sense since the show, like I said, did not see the light of day. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, and the last thing I have here is uh, there's a lot of rails, um, kind of like on rails style mm -hmm. gameplay where you are actually on rails, <laughs> uh, not in um, not in vehicles, but just like kind of like Sonic, you know, like when you're in the new 3D or newer 3D Sonic games, when you're going on rails and collecting coins, it's basically that. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was fine. Uh, I, I don't want to say I, I loved it, but it was it was a nice break sometimes of just like walking around areas. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I think. I think if they would have pushed the um, the helicopter missions a bit more and like okay. focused on that, that would have been a lot more interesting to me because those felt like a little bit more throwaway. 
okay. um, when they were just added in. Like, it it didn't feel like they were super polished. I've, I've heard that on the remaster that the helicopter levels are done better. Nice. Uh, so that would be nice, especially when you're having to do forest f- uh, fire stuff, which I thought was mm. really cool, which is too real on it also. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're basically, like, going into the water, picking up all the water with the helicopter, and then going over the fires and and spraying them so that was a cool element in the game that i wish was um a bit more impactful yeah i think that those i can picture what you're talking about with those on rails grinding kind of levels they're also in they're very popular in ratchet and clank games they're yes. in all of yes. them they're fun for like the first minute like i would <laughs> yeah. say like they're not much fun after that i know eventually you're trying to do something you're either fighting a boss or trying to collect like a piece of something and you're trying to get to a certain point or follow a path and it eventually just kind of gets monotonous and yeah you do want to do something different like the helicopter level um i I would love to see more boomerangs in video games in in general like i I feel like that other than so cool (laughs) they're very cool and other than tie and like arkham are the arkham city games i can't think of many others like i love grapple hooks in games like i you know there's a lot of things that i like in games and boomerangs would be such a cool like bow and arrows are really fun and tomb raider and whatnot uh, like imagine like playing like you get like a boomerang in like Last of Us or something. It's a completely, it's a really hard weapon to learn how to use. But in Australia, I think it's a bit more popular. So well, it's yeah, it's an Australian uh, original. Yeah, we need more Australian games so that we can see more boomerangs. So please get on that, video game developers. Yeah, come on, let's go. <laughs> but they they did make one more tie game though. So let's hit the back of the case of tie two, and we'll talk about the last game on our list of the day. Mm-hmm. He puts the boom in boomerang. See, boomerangs are cool. <laughs> Everyone's favorite hero from Down Under returns in an all-new Australian adventure. Once again, it's up to Ty the Tasmanian Tiger to take back the Outback and do whatever it takes to stop the evil boss Cass and his menacing uber reptiles. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of tuzz there. <laughs> yeah, eventually I would have probably dropped the Tasmanian Tiger thing. Just call him Ty. We get it. Well, they do. They um, well, no, I guess they don't. They don't necessarily drop it. But yeah, nope. <laughs> it's, it's like Ty and then a smaller that tasmanian tiger on there yeah. oh no i'm just realizing one big miss here even though there's a kart racer which is really cool only two-player multiplayer so you can't play with four people yes that's right yeah 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 that's a little huge miss there yep well they did come back with tie the tasmanian tiger 3 knight of the quincan released on october 11th 2005 developed by chrome studios this one's published by activision it's also on gamecube ps2 xbox windows and Game Boy advance i don't believe this one has been remastered yet but i'm sure it's coming uh rates a 6.5 out of 10 priced today at around 60 dollars and the major addition to this game over the previous two uh in terms of the main campaign is that there's a, a far more fleshed out melee combat system um so you can you can use the boomerangs like you did before uh but you also have more of like a beat-em-up style gameplay there's five hit combos um you can throw enemies up into the air you can juggle them and everything and of course the bite move which mike mentioned earlier is back of course yes yeah uh i mean this game i so i didn't play this one like i said i played the Mm -hmm. the second one and i enjoyed that thoroughly and this game seems to from what i i found has a a bit less um positive reviews Mm -hmm. uh that mostly focused on the repetitiveness of the gameplay which was one as well as um the camera and controls uh felt a little wonky and um clunky Mm -hmm. is what what i read i'm not sure if they kind of redesigned anything or they got new new um, uh, engines, because I know it's a different publisher, not a different uh, right. uh, a developer, but it does look different. I don't know about you, Neil. Uh, it looks similar. Like, it looks like that they've just kind of harnessed the power of the consoles by this point. Like, yeah. they're, they're good at developing games on GameCube and PS2 and Xbox. So it's what you'd expect the third game and one of these trilogies to look like. Yeah. I was more confused by Frogger looking as bad as it did 
<laughs> the third Frogger game. I think that's yeah. why we're just a little bit confused as to why this game looked good. I think it's just that other games didn't figure out how to use the tech. But no, you're right. It was kind of criticized for being just more of the same. Like if you like the first two tie games, don't expect much more in this one. Uh, it's it's much more of the same. One thing that they did add uh, in addition to the kart racing, which was brought back for tie three, they also added a dog fighting mode in the multiplayer. So similar to uh, what I played on Star Fox 64, you can fight your friends uh, playing as Falco or Fox. Uh, you can do that in this game as well, uh, which they finally added four players to, which is good. So they fleshed out the multiplayer a little bit more, but uh, you're right. The the main campaign was really not, there wasn't really much to say uh, with this one compared to the last two, which is too bad. And it, which is why I think a lot of people are so confused as to why a lot of these platformers have come back in remasters because they ended on a bit of just a thud. Like they, they didn't end on high notes, most of them. No. Really. Like you think of Banjo, <laughs> that one petered out. Uh, you think of Tack even, that one petered out. Even though these were okay games, they just, the popularity of them just went down and down and down. And now in the 2020s, we're seeing them all come back in these collections, which are all getting very well received. <laughs> Yeah, because honestly, with the the technology that we have, like we can make these games what they really were supposed to be all along. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about that with the Spyro trilogy. Uh, that's one of the the best things about that. You know, the the fact that we are getting renewed interest in a lot of these three D platformers is that these developers can go back and actually make the games that they wanted to right. all along. And you know, not not saying that they didn't, but but they're always limited through whether it was um, a publisher who wanted them to just put games out or if it mm -hmm. was just the technology at the time. Now they can, you know, have these Kickstarters that happen and they can actually take their time and create good games with um, with modern technology. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm interested that they switched over to Activision too for the last game. I'm not quite sure what was going on there. I guess the contract with EA was up, but Activision was just about to put out Skylanders too. It would have been cool if they had tied in uh t tie with uh with spyro like skylanders really did have the ability to tie in all of these platformers together again which would have been really cool i think they also own um crash bandicoot so that was a missed opportunity not that uh not that skylanders needed new ideas because it did very well for the time but it would have been neat to have seen all these characters together like that i mean i would have loved to see crash and tie together because like come on I guess that, but, they, but then you'd be able to know, wait a minute, these are the same two characters, just with Sonic's eyes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think a band, Bandicoot is, like, it's also Australian too, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, Australia, if you're listening, please let us know if you see Bandicoots on a regular basis, because we don't here. We just see a lot of squirrels <laughs> and Canadian geese. Please take some of our geese off of our hands. We will pay you for it. <laughs> we'll trade you a geese for bandicoots but yeah that's all i have to say about tie the tasmanian tiger it's um it's a solid franchise that i'm really really happy has gotten a uh, new love me too me too i want to talk about that more in just a moment uh so let's hit the back of the case here and we'll talk about where we want to see some of these franchises going forward Ty fights back. The evil Quincan has invaded Ty's Australian outback, intent on destroying Ty and his friends. It's up to you to reunite Ty with the Bush Rescue Squad to battle the Quincan and discover the evil force controlling them. This is Ty's most exciting and dangerous quest yet. Save Ty and his friends before it's too late. You see, they didn't use Ty the Tasmanian Tiger at all on the back of this case, which is... They, they, they dropped all of the T's, finally. Finally. <laughs> finally. But Mike, of the nine games that we talked about today, let's talk about some of the ones that we suggest the listeners out there maybe look for or some of the games that we're thinking about picking up. So are there any games here on this list that uh, that you're on the hunt for? Ooh, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, because a lot of these games are good, but not like, oh my God, I need to play this right now. Right. Uh, I, I would recommend, if you can, and if you have the money, to just buy the, the Thai remaster, the first one. Because mm -hmm. that one, uh, it's 30 USD, 
it looks really, really good. Uh, and you can play it on Switch, which is uh, always a, a plus. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go back to some of those, the GameCube graphics for Ty, which weren't that great. So uh, yeah. it looks, and, and just everything's improved on the, the mm-hmm. remake. So I would definitely recommend that because... Tasmanian tigers are really cool and I would say I would say my other recommendation would be to play I would say tack the great juju challenge the one that I played uh had a lot of fun playing it and to play it with two people would be also really really cool yeah so uh and it's you know a, a really well done game uh I was a big fan of it while I was playing it I actually even though most of the gameplay is super repetitive I it kept me in it and I actually wanted to keep going to see what happens so nice yeah that would be my other recommendation if you can find that for a good price tack the great juju challenge and no Frogger, unfortunately, for me. No. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Frogger, maybe if you wanted to pick up Frogger Ancient Shadow just for the purpose of having a Frogger arcade port to play on GameCube. Uh, like, I, like I've talked about before in the past, like Monster House or Jimmy Neutron. I love having these little uh, arcade ports or NES-style game ports in the games. I think it's really neat, and I wish that more developers did it. So uh, for that reason alone, I would say maybe pick it up, but don't spend more than like 10 to 20 bucks on it, if that, because yeah. you can probably get a free version of Frogger somewhere else if you, lo- <laughs> if you look hard enough. Um, I think that the TAC Trilogy would be really neat to try and pick up. It's super affordable. Uh, it's a little neat piece of Nickelodeon history, which uh, I'm, I love Nickelodeon. So I might try and pick up probably go just jump right to tack two and three i might skip out on one if i had to play these games because um i think tack two looks really interesting and then tack three looks like a ton of fun to play with with you mike and you can hear some patrick warburton jokes which um, i'm always looking for more of and then yeah tie uh the tasmanian tiger the remastered version would be the way for me to go um i did not know that these games got physical releases like they're on amazon Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Like you can buy them physically like you could with Spyro and uh, the, the Bandicoot collections as well. I really honestly thought that they released all three of these games at once. Uh, I'm just learning today really that uh, uh, that they're releasing them one at a time, which is interesting. Like I said, I'm not sure if the third one's coming out, but the first two are. So uh, if you can track those down, try and get them on sale. You might have a, a pretty good time. Yeah. And uh, I do love the cover art actually on the new, mm. uh, the new games. They, they made it a lot nicer than the, the old ones. Yeah. Uh, I, I hated the old ones of the stupid EA thing mm. that they all, that EA put on the bottom of all their games. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that. I do love the EA games challenge everything. Uh, <laughs> startup screen. Oh, you gotta love that. But uh, the new one, the, the remastered Chrome studios, I guess they're self-publishing it because they, yeah. they kickstarted it. So it's yep. just them on the front. It looks really good. Unfortunately, the, the title is right in the middle of the box, which I'm never a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, and it, But it does look nice. Like It looks more like a storybook uh, artwork as opposed to the computer-generated graphic that the old ones went with, which don't age particularly well, which we've talked about a bunch. Yeah. Um, so we're living in a world now where Tie the Tasmanian Tiger is on the shelves again. But uh, So obviously that's where we're seeing this franchise now. It's getting remastered and uh, possibly, I guess, a fifth game. We'll see. Uh, do you want to see Tack or Frogger come back in any way, or do you see those games coming back? Well, Frogger, I already talked about how I want to yep. have it for the 99. And for Tack, uh, I think a collection is really the only way to go mm-hmm. at this point. You know, you're not getting a new Tack game. I can I can guarantee that. If no. we do get a new Tack game, then I don't know. I'll make some kind of crazy bet for, for that to happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we will. I think there's a 
pretty high chance we will get attack collection in the next couple of years. Mainly if, if THQ Nordic does still have the license for it, they will a hundred percent put it out because they are pretty good with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, what about you, Neil? Yeah, same. You, you read my mind with attack collection. I would love that. Just a trilogy of games to come out. I think with, if it's in THQ Nordic's hands, we're almost guaranteed of seeing something like that. Like we've seen, uh, the SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom come back, and now they're making a, a brand new SpongeBob game. They seem to remaster and port out everything that they own because they need to make money somehow so they can keep buying everything <laughs> that video games have. Uh, they're like this giant blob from like a Stephen King novel. It's it's fantastic to watch, really. I'm enjoying it because they're buying things that just don't really matter, but they do at the same time. It's really neat, the things that that company buys. Uh, I would I would love to see Attack Trilogy come out, so I might just wait on that for a couple more years, but... Uh, yeah, Frogger's not coming back in any in any way, shape, or form. I think that it's... Uh, other than the 99. Other than Frogger 99, and probably some Frogger port to be in a Dave & Buster's cabinet uh, when Dave & Buster's <laughs> actually reopens. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Perfect. But Mike, while we're waiting for Dave & Buster's to finally reopen so we can go back and play skee-ball, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 82 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. On episode 82, this is a big one. A lot of people have been waiting for this, and so have I. This is Pokemon Coliseum and XD, Gale of Darkness. This was a very, very interesting time for Pokemon, and two very polarizing releases on the GameCube. And uh, a lot of people talk about these, and uh, we often get requested or asked if we've talked about this yet. So Mm. I'm really excited to talk about it because we did talk about Pokemon for a second when we talked about Pokemon Channel (laughs) and Pokemon Red and Blue Box, uh, or Box Sapphire, whatever it's called, Ruby Sapphire Box. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the game, that's not a game, and neither of them are games. So (laughs) uh, these are actual full-fledged games, uh, one of them being a sequel to the Stadium series and the other one just being its own kind of game. And um, yeah, I am excited to talk about this with you, Neil, and with a couple of guests. Yeah, we're going to have a bunch of callers on, our friends, to talk about these games. Uh, it was a very interesting time to be a Pokemon fan. In the 2000s, we were waiting patiently for a Pokemon RPG, which we kind of got with these two games that that uh, that we're going to be talking about. And of course, we're timing it for the release of Pokemon Arceus, or Arceus, which is coming out the same week as our episode, so the timing could not be more perfect. Really excited to talk about Pokemon Coliseum, a story with our friend of the show, Dan, who got that. Can't wait to tell that story next week. I'm super mad at him for that. Pokemon XD, I always think about that laugh face. I love to text XD at the end of a sentence to show that I'm laughing sometimes. (laughs) Pokemon laugh, Gale of Darkness. Pokemon laugh face. (laughs) Mike, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to episode 81 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are the GameCube Was Cool. If you want a free way to support the show you can leave us a five star rating on whatever podcast service you listen to us on then you can follow us for free on instagram we are at the gamecube pod share us with your friends and family tell patrick warburton neil says hi thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week see you later juju GameCube. over 600 games you've never heard of GameCube. the product of what happens when you think inside the box GameCube. I got a really funny text actually the other night from a friend of the show, Matt. He, he just randomly messaged me. He just said, couple beers in to some Nintendo videos on YouTube. What kind of a name is we anyways, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> we would like to play. We would like to play. That did take some getting used to back in the day. You know, NES was good. SNES was good. N64 was good. GameCube was fantastic. And then the Wii was like 
Give, give me a minute. I need to just absorb that for just a moment. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm still a big fan of calling it the Nintendo Revolution, which was its code name. So um, uh, I, I got to mm. give it, give some props to that. But yeah, the Wii, Wii is fine. It, it grew on everybody because it was short and easy to remember. But then the Wii U is probably the worst named console in Nintendo history. But we got over it. The Switch is the Switch is a good name. I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow that that name. <laughs>